You seem a little quiet. <laughs> uh maybe maybe it's because I don't have my mic in front of my that face. That was way louder. Fully. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm uh, not I'm not that loud until it's actual recording. So these it, it really is a factor of about a couple inches that determines Oh yeah, these, whether or these not- microphones are not nearly as sensitive as the Yeti. The Yeti you could be like two feet away and it would still pick you up fine. Yeah. Which is why it sounded bad by comparison too, is because of room echo and stuff yep. like that. Or if you're talking to two Yetis simultaneously, uh, which is a weird sentence to say if you don't know their microphones, uh, what happens is <laughs> you start picking up on each other's microphones in the same room, which is really awkward. Yeah. Because then you have like a That's double why... echo in the audio. Yeah, when we initially started off, we had used one Yeti that we would set between us. Yeah. And it we, worked. Yeah. 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 But we had tried doing two microphones once, and it almost sounded okay. Yeah, if the microphone's too sensitive, it actually sounds worse when you give everyone their own microphone, even though that's the only sane thing to do normally, because the microphone's yep. just so sensitive you can't do it that way. Anyway, welcome to Save the Universe podcast, episode 39. We're here to podcast again, but without yep. Bird, because... Yep. He got all paxed out from his pax adventure in the last episode, and then he th- th- started calling him back, and he's gone now, and he's definitely not at the vet. He definitely didn't just forget that we, the podcast well, happens at the same time every week <laughs> again. I mean, he's at the he's at the vet because his bunny is One sick. One bunny is sick. Yeah. So, like, it's it's excusable. Oh yeah, it's it makes sense that he's there, but also he did literally say he forgot, which he has said for <laughs> yeah. the last three weeks. <laughs> Because he yeah. he's just been forgetting the podcast exists. Well, somehow. To be fair, uh, he uh, so this week he has been having this like kind of insane thing. Uh, yeah, Amazon every Spurs the crazy busy person who has an well, actual job outside of this. Yeah, but the actual job uh, once a year for one or two weeks effectively says, "By the way, we need you to be uh, available twenty four seven for emergency like more or less maintenance stuff and then they cycle groups so poor bird this entire week has been called anywhere from in the middle of our recording sessions to 4 a.m to solve problems and he is now dr bird catcher yeah he is dr bird catcher but so he's been he's been dealing with that call into the morning hours when do they anticipate their workers being able to sleep uh the entire point of it is you might not get to. Luckily, yeah. he got, like, the day off and stuff like that. But on-call is kind of this rare thing. Shouldn't they have gotten, like, an on-call group and then had specific uh, hours set for each of them? No. So that different people that can handle it? That would be brutal it? and horrible. Because um, so, like, imagine the, if your boss idea, is, like... Well, the idea is that they're a giant company that can have tech problems at any time. And they can't afford to have those tech problems happen. So people come into the rotation for on-call so they are like the overflow people that can come in to help resolve problems when they actually come in versus the normal daily work schedule. And you can't have people that are permanently on-call because then like they, they're either going to be people that don't do anything normally and only come in when on-call stuff happens. So you're hu- losing huge amounts of money for people that aren't working all the time. Or yeah. you work them, but then they won't be there at times. So like... like the whole point well, is what to I have, was suggesting like, is that they switch the groups around, but the well, people well, within we a just certain exp- group. That's what, that's what happens is it gets switched around. Is that yeah. a different part of the overall population of workers is on call during different parts of the year? Yeah. So Bird is this week, and then next week he will be no longer on call and won't have to ever it's think about this again. It's a week or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're on call for a little bit, and then it goes away for like a year. 
and somebody else is on call. And there's always somebody so like who's on call. Duty. So that one's yeah, done. more or less. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Where if something happens, that if something goes wrong, where overflow people need to help with that thing, then the on call people come in. And it has to be a rotating part of the normal population. Otherwise, you have like a ton of money being spent on like extra people that only come in in emergencies or something like substitute yeah. teachers. But like substitute teachers don't even work that way because like substitute teachers are like people that go into like a temp agency practically and they sub when they feel like it essentially actually yeah, live well, with a substitute teacher. <laughs> yeah, usually substitute teachers kind of work through the district. They're not just like to one school, but they will go from school to school. Uh, and will be like passed around, but they're they're not like you can't just like be like oh I feel like subbing today. You actually like get a schedule and stuff, or you're like sitting around waiting for someone to br- bring you on. Sometimes anyway. I would have another English teacher take over another English teacher's class. Yes, yeah, those were always fun because that was movie day. Hey, <laughs> it wasn't movie day for us, especially if they knew each other well. The there are a lot of substitute born. teachers that just do movie day. Yeah, my track <laughs> coach was uh, a career substitute teacher. Uh, and like sports coach and he would uh, he would just bring in like 200 loose leaf Sudoku puzzles and pass them out <laughs> and, and that was it that was that was all exercise you exercise your brain guys it was great yeah yeah the sub I live with talks about how like she likes it whenever she gets like she essentially went like wins the lottery and gets to sub for seniors because like oh well, they don't even care anymore anyway they're just they're just waiting to get out of here so it's like let's just, yeah you're essentially like babysitting for the day but for people that are basically adults so it's like you're just kind of chaperoning a room to make sure it's still not on fire at the end of the class or something <laughs> I, I wouldn't even say that seniors in high school like looking back on everything I there were immature people in college Ugh. well college yeah because in years. college like we're free now we've escaped our parents for the first time in almost 20 years and that that's like what happens to a lot of people but in senior year specifically they're like oh it's over now you've uh for a long time throughout school and elementary middle and high school though there's like an uncertainty of your future that keeps going back and forth and like where am i going to go but by the time you hit senior year at least in your simplified high school idea of how life works you've kind of hit some sort of cemented level of where you think you're going at that point of like how your school's turning out and so ev- the like, and, like, compared to everything else their- everything's really chill and passive yeah i suppose when people get their tests out of the way and they've already been accepted at college or something they just wait out the last couple months oh yeah was it was it months when no, people- I, I got i got early acceptance so i got accepted about about eight years ago today. Uh, uh, yeah, I got accepted within like, like a, a week or two ago. of getting into uh, a week or two of getting into into college. It was like, oh, yeah, you're uh, actually no, it would have been nine years now. I got I was accepted say eight years ago. I was two years into college. We're not that far yeah. apart, are we? No, you're you're a year older than me, or at least you're ahead of me in uh, education wise, though. I think I was the first to graduate. I don't know. All the all school's over now. <laughs> yeah. Hey. All Happy. over, yay! But life's a journey of learning, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about video games. Uh, yeah. In recent news, I completely pulled a 180 on Sonic Mania, opinion-wise. Yeah. Wait, what do you, you mean by what was the 180? Uh, he didn't like the beginning because it was boring and rehashed. Oh, what about no, that's this? the opposite what? of what I said. Oh, really? Yeah, we spent. The, I just spent the whole last podcast complimenting Sonic Mania and how great oh, it was. Oh, so you don't like it then? I don't like the second half of it at all. Okay. Oh, Bird didn't like it. Oh, no, no. Bird really liked it. 
You also ah uh, whatever. Is anyway, this the game you where you go. create your own character? No, that's Sonic Forces. Oh, okay. I keep yeah. getting them mixed up. Sonic Mania is the t- yeah. No, oh, it's normal to get them mixed up. I recently edited. I finished editing the first half of our playthrough, and I I I cite Sonic Rush as being the Sonic game that's like Mario Party. But Sonic Rush is some sort of like dual screen, like so- Sonic DS 2D game, and I'm like, oh crap, I'm wrong. Mm. But I'm wrong because yeah. it's always Sonic plus Word, Sonic Unleashed, yes. Sonic Generation, Sonic Rush, Sonic DX, <laughs> Sonic mm-hmm. Adventure. Yeah. Oh yeah, Adventure that evokes meaning. At least with Mario, Mania. every single every single game is kind of distinct in its like extreme way. Whereas like Sonic, I guess there was. I mean, Sonic Heroes is pretty easy to remember, and Shadow the Hedgehog is pretty easy to remember. The but... only reason why I remember Sonic Unleashed for being the one with the werewolf is because, I mean, yeah. Unleashed. But, like, they're very... I don't think I can give Mario credit for having okay titles, actually. Really? Because, like, yeah. Galaxy Galaxy was fairly distinct, you know, it so really, like... The, there's two good names for Mario games. So, there's Mario Galaxy and Mario Sunshine. Yes. Those evoke meaning... But then there's Super Mario 3D World and Super Mario 2D Land. And no, you're right. When they when <laughs> Super they Mario get Brothers into the new, <laughs> yeah, when you get into the new Super Mario Brothers and whatever, I'm thinking about well, the Super like, Mario new, Brothers. But Super was... Mario 3D World isn't even part of the new Super Mario Brothers franchise. But yeah, there's also an entire Mario Brothers franchise that literally is just the previous names, but with new in front of it, and they're not remakes of the old one, but they put new in it there for some reason, and now they're not new anymore, but they're still called new. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the new new ones in about 10 years when they finally make another another one of them gonna yeah, be mario is a victim of how nintendo can't name things and so True. much like so it, the mario franchise has mostly the same naming scheme and like until they really have a huge amount of imagination to a really big crazy revitalization of the franchise in the in the case of uh, galaxy sunshine or odyssey the 10 games in between each of those have the same naming scheme as the as the ds where yeah, you can't I even I, tell what they are anymore. <laughs> I guess I think of I think of those as the filler games because like sixty four Super Mario sixty four Sunshine Galaxy. I would say the Metroid games and the, well, the Legend Metroid... of Zelda games have well no titles no no so it's they easy just to keep Metroid games Ocarina great, of like Time. Four. No, there's a ton of Metroid Majora's games. Majora's Mask, no, but they, it keeps like dying Majora's for long Mask. Periods of time. Twilight yeah. Princess, Skyward Sword. You can tell what the game is about based on the title. Well, yeah, but like, Zelda's a fantasy universe with a story, and this name is based on the story of the thing that happens in the game. Yeah. Mm. There's a ton of, like, the tr- classic, like, Metroid games. There's Super Metroid. Wasn't there, like, a Metroid before that, or did it start with Super Metroid? There was just There's a Metroid, Metroid Fusion, yeah, Metroid I, I 2. Was just, I was just taking a dig about Samus how the, Returns. Nintendo, like, stomped on that franchise. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Like, no franchise has been mistreated more than Metroid, really, besides, like, but Star I loved Fox. But I love Prime. I love yeah. the Prime trilogy. Yeah, Star they, Fox, they... the franchise that has, like, four games. <laughs> oh. And yeah, but many it's... of them can arguably not be called Star Fox games. Uh, Captain Falcon's whole series, F-Zero, is kind of pissed on as well. They like to make these, like, beloved, beloved series, and then forget about them for, like, a decade until, like, the yeah. nostalgia... Hits hits like a weird critical point. I think the difference might be that I I kind of view Captain Falcon and as like a C list uh, like niche part of Nintendo, like you would think Kid Icarus, as opposed yeah. to like mm-hmm. as opposed to like headline the big first like six names that you think of for Nintendo of a, a company known for big big franchises, which 
of course, immediately goes, like, uh, immediately is Zelda and Mario, but then, like, you might include, like, Kirby and oh, Kirby. Metroid and Star Fox. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, crap, what happened to Star Fox? Oh, no. Is that another <laughs> Zelda game? But they called it Star Fox? I'm confused. <laughs> I remember when Star Fox, uh, what was it? The uh, the one with Crystal in it. The dinosaur one. That's the, Actually, one. That's the one that I was that... just talked about. <laughs> that was, like, yeah. is that, I'm like, is this a Zelda game? Yeah, that... It was interesting because I believe reading about their initial like production for it, they were actually making a completely different game. Dinosaur Cri- Planet. Right, where Crystal was the main protagonist and it had nothing at all to do with yep. uh, Star Fox. And then it's like, oh yeah, maybe we should tie this in. It was going to be the hot. <laughs> it was going to be the hot new rareware property, and then it became a Star Fox game, even though it was still basically a rare rareware game. And then it mm-hmm. got mishmashed awkwardly, and they threw in an R wing section just to taunt people and make them extra mad when they realized that there wasn't going to be another one for the rest of the game. Uh, I did not make it very far in that game. There were actually multiple R wing segments. Anytime you had to fly to, like, it was it a different planet? It, Do you actually go to another the, planet? I, you, I don't think I a stuck planet it long or enough. like an area. You had to fly somewhere, and every time you did, you had to do an R wing segment, a la Kingdom Hearts. Maybe one of these days, Star Fox will be a topic of a sad games playthrough, just to <laughs> experience that thing in its entirety it and was, its tiny dinosaur escort missions. From my from my experience, it wasn't actually like a bad game. It just was called Star it, Fox. Yeah, they kind of they kind of messed it up by by making it what it was. When in reality, they really should have just made it either its own product or like actually spent time on it. It, it felt kind of like, oh, here's an idea. Oh, but it's not going to do well. Let's slap Star Fox in. Like I just that is said such, that. Yeah, I know, it, but like that's cynical, such an right? anti. That's such an anti Nintendo thing at this point. Like even Rabbids, like the Mario Rabbids thing, is kind of a masterpiece in its own right. And it's the issue is just that when you think of Star Fox, you're not thinking about a game where you Z target your enemy and strafe around them with three hearts in the corner while you fight people with a staff and a melee weapon on, on ground against dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. True. Did any of you guys ever play uh, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess Crossbow Training? No. Was Twilight Princess really in the name of that? Black, yeah. No, maybe it was just Crossbow Training, but it had like the Twilight Princess version Link's of Crossbow Link. Training. Yeah, Link's that's what it's Crossbow called. Training? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's only called but Link's it... Crossbow Training. Oh, okay. I remember the last time I did Unsucky Sunday for the Let's Play subreddit, somebody had actually submitted a Crossbow Training video, and I was like, this game exists? Why are you covering well, it? What happened was, uh, at least for my family, the only reason why we picked it up was there was this sale going on where if you selected a Wii, and this was back when Wiis were still pretty scarce, even a couple of years after their release. Um, if you got it, you had to purchase like a couple more games, but then they would throw in another game or two and a special accessory. And the accessories weren't really that interesting, but one of the ones you could get was the quote unquote, you know, uh rifle crossbow extension. You know how they had the wheels and stuff? And so that yeah, game came and with it. The Wii Zapper and stuff like that. Yep. Or if you bought a Cabela game, you had a ridiculously large plastic rifle that the Wii remote stuck into the side of and you pretended <laughs> to shoot bears or something. Yep, so that's what it came with I mean, and I didn't like it. To be fair, the Wii would have been a really good platform to just spit light gun shooters onto 
Oh yeah. I oh yeah. That's what they. That's what they did. <laughs> that's what they did. They kind of did. They kind of didn't. A lot of the like mainstay like light gun shooter games from arcades never even had a title. Yeah. On, but like, as, the Wii, as like, me t- though, as somebody who worked at a Best Buy during the population of the Wii, I mean the popularity of the Wii, there were a lot of light gun games for it because I had to stock them and I looked at, spent a lot of time looking at their boxes, walking up and down hallways. We- we really we had liked, a whole area uh, dedicated to Link's crossbow training because it had to be locked up because of the peripherals. Uh, yeah, we uh, really liked Resident Evil Dark Side Chronicles. That was the game that we played before we started dating together, and that was a lot of fun. We were arguing with one another over what was better, shotguns or machine guns. And of course, you would blast everything away. But yeah. I got the final boss. Yeah, yeah. So it gives points to the person who gets the final shot. If you've never played <laughs> Resident Evil Dark Side Chronicles, it's a light gun shooter on the Wii where you play you, through the plots of the first several games. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like this weird mishmash where you just like jump around the story. It's not very cohesive, but it's still kind of fun. Um, it's a bizarre but, idea where somebody essentially was like, what if we made a House of the Dead game out of the entire Resident Evil franchise? And so they made two like, light gun shooters. It was actually good. It was probably one of the better light gun shooters I've ever played. Yeah. But, well, House uh, of the Dead is the, good. That wasn't supposed to be disparaging. We tried playing House of the Dead and kept dying. Yeah, so the House so of the Dead Wii port didn't have like unlimited lives or anything well, but you also could couldn't heal one put another quarters with herbs in. and stuff uh, in resident evil yeah so you could heal in resident evil dark side chronicles is it was not made for arcades yeah. but the uh the port for house of the dead literally you had two lives and you couldn't put quarters in or anything so it's just like well and if you're playing two player the one person can continue on and nothing could be done for the second player and it's like well yeah it was kind of hot garbage but for dark side chronicles <laughs> You get to the last boss, you fight it, and it doesn't matter what your contribution was on the boss fight, as whoever got the last hit in got all the points for it. <laughs> and the whole thing was worth more points than the rest of the game combined. So Shell just, like, <laughs> add 100,000 more than I did, and I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> oh, weird. Been- Dark Side Chronicles is supposed to be a, a prequel to Resident Evil 4. The, the it umbre- is, yeah. Because the Umbrella Chronicle, the, the Umbrella Chronicles was a remake of Resident Evil 0, uh, 1, and 3. As like a continuous story, but then they made a sequel called Dark Side Chronicles that was just a standalone prequel to, to RE4. That's a weird choice. Yeah. They were fun. For the Wii. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You you had to hunt for things to do on the Wii that were fun. In that in the drought between Nintendo properties, basically. On yeah. a side thing, I, I, when I was Googling Link's Crossbow Training to verify its name, one of the first results I got in the image search is Link's Crossbow Training HD. A uh, um, joke parody thing somebody made for April Fools, which is the the Wii U port of Link's Crossbow Training, <laughs> and it's like it looks like a legit cover. <laughs> he was uh, posting it on he was posting it on Reddit, I guess, to like uh, screw with people on April Fool's Day as a, being a fake news announcement. Because he's like he's oh. like uh, Link's Crossbow Training HD announced for the Wii U. <laughs> but to loop all the way back to the original topic, uh, what happened is we we played the first half of. Uh, Sonic Mania in one day, and I had a pretty good time overall. I my my main criticism is like the part where I'm like I'm like I don't think I'm a Sonic fan in general because 
there's a lot of like, I hit a speed ramp and look at me do 50,000 loop-de-loops and bounce through things and I can't really tell what's <laughs> happening. I guess some people like this, but when do I play again? It's, it's well, like those I mean, auto levels in uh, Mario Maker. This yeah. is sort of crazy, but imagine if Sonic. you saw from Sonic's perspective every time you spun around. It would be sickening. That I mean, would be, but it would be oh accurate. Oh God, you mean, when he's, you mean when he's literally spinning in first person? <laughs> yes. So I, I can imagine played... that. It looks a lot like a static screen. <laughs> Yeah, I have played a first-person Sonic simulator, uh, kind of like the Green Hill Zone <laughs> demo thing. Oh. It was something uh, somebody had made back in, I want to say, 2011. That's the worst idea. Yeah, uh, I mean, it didn't help that it was just like a, a basic Unreal like mod that it's just like, let's make him go really fast and do loop-de-loops and jumps and shit. Uh, I think it was Metal Harbor, maybe, and it had like a had a first-person mode. I don't know, but. It was just so nauseating. I was just like, all right, I'm going to put this down and not think about Sonic for a long time. Now, can you only do those loop-de-loops on straightaways and it's something that you can't break out of? Or how does he steer like that if, if he does keep it? Uh, in the games, generally the loop-de-loops just are... Well, in the 3D games, you just go through them most of the time. <laughs> In most anyway. of the 3D games, when you hit a loop-de-loop, -loop, it's basically just a cutscene we're not playing. And if you're playing Sonic 06, the game where, where that doesn't do that as often as it should, uh, that's the game where it breaks itself and you die and you fly off into space and a billion wrong things happen, unfortunately. If I remember right, that happened in DX too. Yeah, I, I definitely in DX also. I definitely clipped through the loop-de-loop -loop more than once and flung off uh, to my death. Yeah, the moment because... Sonic became 3D, all those parts where the game's supposed to essentially play itself for a bit are moments where you could just abruptly die by falling through the world. And it was like, this yep. is an improvement. I'm, gl I'm glad we changed to the 3D. You fixed it. But so, so we talked about last time how I like I, I liked all the boss fights. They were like inventive and creative and they weren't just hit Robotnik four times as he floats a little bit and maybe has a thing spinning around him. Like it was more interesting than the previous ones were. Uh, when we got to the second half of the game... The levels keep getting longer and longer and longer while still having a 10-minute time limit, which, like, oh, when, I, when yeah. I played Sonic games as a kid, I didn't even know there was a time limit in Sonic because you couldn't take 10 minutes to go through a level. That wasn't, like, a thing, really. Like, they were not very long levels in old Sonic games. But in this new game, the Sonic the levels are really, really big, but they kept the 10-minute time limit, even though I'm not even sure it even means anything for the gameplay. I think it's just there because it existed in the old games, and they just keep stuff from the old games kind of automatically because it's meant to capture nostalgia at, for the sake of nostalgia, whether or not it makes sense to do so. So you hit a point where the levels themselves are like eight, nine minutes long while you're just kind of wandering around aimlessly, not having any idea which direction is actually your goal because in Sonic Mania, you definitely don't have, get to rely on the platformer universal rule of go left to right. Like... You constantly are bouncing up and down and spinning in circles, then going where se what seems to go backwards. And what we started to notice over time is not only were the levels getting more and more obscure and gimmicky and weird and bloated, but also they started seemingly copy-pasting rooms over and over again. And mm -hmm. the only way you could tell that you were even in a new room was because there was there was rings there. Like, oh, this looks like the same place we were in before two minutes ago. Are we going in circles? Oh, no, there's rings here. I guess we're progressing, maybe? And then, like, every time you hit the end of a level, it's a surprise because there was no real sense of progression along the way. You just get, you just hit the ending. You're like, oh, I guess we made it in time. I was worried. We had 90 seconds left, and I didn't know it was going to happen. But then you hit the boss mm -hmm. fights, and uh, 
there's a boss fight at the end of every single level, which is there's 12 worlds, 24 levels overall. And basically every single mm. one ends in a boss fight or some kind of gimmick room or some kind of final challenge. And I found that specifically in the second half of the game, the, the boss fights went from being fun and inventive and intuitive to being like really chaotic and confusing. And like it starts to highlight how weird the concept is, is of combat in Sonic games. Like you play Rayman and you run up to a dude and you can like press like the punch button and you punch the dude. And in uh, Mario, if the enemy is not covered in spikes, it's usually accepted that you can jump on them and that stomps them. And that's how you fight things generally. That's like how it works. It's either covered in spikes or on fire or you can jump on it is kind of the With Sonic, you jump into them and you hope. Yeah, in Sonic, you jump into the air and start spinning. And sometimes things can be hurt and sometimes things can't be hurt. And the distinction between what can and can't be hurt on contact is variable and which parts of them can be hurt is variable. And there isn't even like a consistency of like, do you jump on the enemy or do you jump at them from below? Like, it seems to be that when he's spinning at a certain speed in midair, that that midair spin jump is what causes the damage to happen. But you can't always tell when it's going to happen or what can be hurt by it. And sometimes individual parts of an enemy can be hurt while the other ones can't. And it's not always intuitive there either. And then you start hitting bosses that seem to have no particular vulnerable point, And you're just jumping at them. And you just kind of... It's like just a dice roll as to whether or not you're going to hurt them or they're going to hurt you. Because the game isn't intuitive in how its damage systems work. Which I didn't think I'd be praising 3D Sonics. But that's actually the one probably the only improvement that 3D Sonics make is that the air dash that Sonic gets in all the 3D ones where you jump up in the air, then you press jump a second time to like hit somebody with a homing attack. That has a clear communication of I'm hitting dude. Like you hit the guy with your with your air dash, so that's an attack. It doesn't make sense how that attack operates in universe, but it, at least on a gameplay level, you're like, I understand how attacks work. In 2D Sonic, you're just jumping at people. And sometimes you jump at people and you and you land on them and it hurts them. And sometimes you hit, you hit them from a blow and it hurts them. And sometimes the same thing happens against the same enemy, but it doesn't seem to hurt them. And so when you hit boss fights, you're like, we have a system where I have one hit and then I lose all my rings. Then a second hit kills me. So I have to scramble for rings every time anything goes wrong. But I have to sit there and experiment over and over again about how to hurt the guy, which keeps making me lose the rings, which keeps making me grab them all again so I can keep experimenting. But this is a still we're still working with Sonic uh, 2D with lives. So the game has three lives to get through two levels to finish the world. And if you run out of lives, you start over the entire world. So you can lose all your lives just trying to experiment against how to fight the boss of the second level of the world and then get sent back to replay 20 minutes of world to get back to the boss that you still don't know how to beat because you don't know why you couldn't hurt him before. I am so glad boy, oh boy. the gaming industry has moved past limited lives and it's, it's, it's limited a continues. Yeah. Like, at some point we just started like I felt really cheesy about it, but at some point I'm like, well, I'm playing I like the, this premise is I'm playing a co-op series with Andrew. Hey Andrew, you're Tails, you can't die. Try to hit that guy. <laughs> like we made genuine progress through bosses because I would sometimes just cower from the boss and let Andrew try to find out how to hurt it. And he's the one that played every Sonic game that was 2D back in the day, and he's the one that we like we gave me the controller to play the protagonist because we thought he'd be too good at the at the game. Uh, and even he's like, I don't know how to hurt these things. Like, there's bosses that are very unintuitive. I, mean, I can't even say they're and hard. And they don't have tells or, like, weird little cutscenes or things in the area. I, I'm, I suppose I'm used to games where the boss battle, sometimes the boss isn't even reachable until you f fulfill a number of prerequisites to harm it so that it is 
reachable or that something's exposed, like a device or uh, an element or something that you're supposed to change in the environment to make it um, no, the Sonic games but... are a sing- you fight a boss on a single screen like Mega Man. Like there's no mm. worlds involved and stuff like that. Uh, it's just you're just you and all you can do is jump <laughs> and there's an enemy that you need to hit like X number of times to kill and you don't really necessarily know what the trick is. And if you fuck up or don't know because the game doesn't tell you, then you start the entire world over. So it all boils down to how intuitively designed the boss is. And what's weird is that the first half of the game felt like its bosses were really intuitive. And the second half of the game, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you want from me, man. <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. that actually, like, I, I don't know how far Bird was last week when we talked about it, but I think that might have been, I think that's part of what he said is he, I don't know if he was talking about vehicles or, or bosses or something, but I think last week he said something along the lines of like, there are like are parts of the game that are like incomprehensible to him. And I think I encountered that essentially. And so we'll, I guess we'll see what his later uh, opinion is when he comes back and talks about it next week, maybe. But yeah, like Sonic Mania didn't stay as positive as it was at first, which is a bummer because I was like really positive on it at first with the caveat of being like, it's a Sonic game and I don't think I actually like this franchise that much. I was still like, this is off to a good start. I can see why people like this and I'm not like hating it. I just will probably never come back to it. But now I'm like, I don't, I'm done. I'm I'm done with this. (laughs) I'm just waiting for Sonic Forces to somehow be like actually masterpiece level and everybody's just like really confused and not sure how to handle it. <laughs> that they finally make a masterpiece 3D Sonic game for the first yeah, time. Yeah, like it's really good, it's perfect. Everybody's like, "Oh man, Sonic's actually like a solid solid product." <laughs> and then Sonic I'll be, I'll be blown away. Sonic 2018 comes out and then it's just Kissing, kissing the princesses again. I will be totally blown away if like a genuinely great 3D platformer comes out that's called Sonic. Because like, I played Sonic Generations and like, there's whole chunks of that game where all they're doing is taking ma- maps they made before and remixing them to supposedly improve them. And even that one was still like, what is this level? How did this even? This wasn't good this first time or the second time. Like, had you, did you think you fixed it? I don't know what happened here. And boy, oh boy, they they would keep in certain boss fights because they're just like fan favorite, like popular boss fights, like Sonic versus Shadow. But like, they've never been well done, and they stayed not well done in the remake. But they were just better resolution, <laughs> and they don't. I, there's ones where I don't think they even changed the fights. Uh, away. We'll see, I, we'll see how it turns out. I can't wait for Sonic Forces to come out because playing a bad Sonic 3D game is really entertaining. <laughs> I feel like Sonic bosses should never actually be bosses. They should actually just be a level you're running through and like the boss kind of goes by at the same time. You hit him like once or twice and then you progress almost as like kind of a uh not a quick time event, but like the just trigger to con- continue and if you don't you take a hit and then it continues. Cause I- I've never understood fighting an enemy in a Sonic level period. I think the only Sonic boss that I actually remember being good was when sonic adventure 2 so can you scoot over you keep like scooting closer to me and then it makes we have arm noises. chairs so the yeah. arms are over the course of every podcast when we're sitting next to each other shell slowly scoots closer and closer to me for whatever reason and then when i try and move my chair makes this like awful squeaking noise anyway um did you you've played sonic adventure 2 right yep okay do you remember oh, oh boy. <laughs> 
yeah. Do you remember the the Sonic boss? It was Eggman in the desert right before he was going to launch or something, and there was like a big egg mech, and ninety percent of it was just platforming. You were just supposed to like platform around and then eventually hit him on the noggin, and that was about it. I think that's the only Sonic boss I've ever actually felt like it was well designed for Sonic, because all the other ones were just like, "Here's an enemy, uh, jump and try and try and air dash them a bunch of times," and that got kind of boring. That's definitely a reoccurring thing in, in the franchise. I don't really remember the specific one you're talking about because there's been so many boss fights where, like, there's an Eggman robot with, like, weird arms or floaty bits and you platform to hit the right part or something like that. That's, like, there's, like, ten of those <laughs> throughout the franchise, so it's really hard to remember which one it is. But, uh, they actually had some decent ideas for boss fights a little bit in uh, Sonic Unleashed, I believe it was, which is that you'd be you'd be running on a track during the boss fight and the boss fight would be a flying robot that's trying to shoot you with lasers that have like a telegraph like damage zone and you're kind of mm -hmm. dividing your movement into three different lanes so you can press the bumpers to switch lanes rapidly. So you would switch lanes to dodge the attacks themselves or you would jump when it's like a shockwave or something like that and your goal would be to keep boosting towards the enemy and so that you're close enough to actually land a hit on them. And like that's uh -huh. a boss fight built around running and dodging projectiles so it generally makes sense. There was always something wrong with every single one, though. There was always a weird part where the experience would just kind of strangely break. And what, and oftentimes one of the weird issues that would come up is just the idea that, like, they had this nice, snappy three-lane system, but then they wouldn't stick to it well enough or something. Like, your Sonic would kind of just meander at times, or the camera would, yeah. would uh, try to arbitrarily and dramatically change perspectives as you run on as you switch to like running on walls and ceilings or something and then the camera changes angle and then your oh, ca yeah. your character like wanders off and then you can't like reorient them back onto the lanes and the whole fight starts breaking. Well, I think part of it is Sonic has never been good at the transition and the division between when you want to press buttons or not. Well, that yeah, but like so the 3D Sonics almost feel more like a racing game cuz in a 3D space you can cover a lot more ground than a 2D game ish uh and so they almost kind of are trying to go for that racing game to feel of like you're going really fast mm -hmm. but there's still they still want it to be a platformer and they can't really figure out how to like you know reconcile the two so they just mix them and they say ah fuck it it's close enough and then it never is it's never good i mean how many people have seen that uh that barry kramer going over the sonic cutscene and how like weird awkward that was like they don't <laughs> They don't what even know themselves how to put it together. That's effectively Sonic boom. That's yeah, that's that was, big red button though. The, those people yeah. are really uh. yeah. So they, so those people went on to make. Uh, if I've heard correctly, they're the people that went on to make uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and now they're making the first-person shooter part of uh, Star Citizen. Wait, Friday the Thirteenth isn't a game based off the movie? Yep. Yes. Huh. So they're ma so that game's famously like unfinished and glitchy and like a weird mess that like has some cult following because it's like a decently original like idea execution but it's like oh, a, it's wait, known as being a mess as a product and the you same you guys are and, playing did you guys play it before no oh because no. i remember you watching something where there are all these like teens at a cabin or a series of cabins i was watching i was watching funhouse play it and it was oh. awful i see it's oh, yeah, really worrying big... that the guy the the people that made sonic boom and friday the 13th are now we're supposedly working on the first-person shooter part of Star Citizen. 
I'm trying uh, to figure that out because I just looked at Big Red Button's website and it looks like they're doing VR stuff. Now, wasn't Sonic Boom also a television show? Yeah, the, they did the a 3DS game. game, a TV show, and a Wii U game. It was supposed to be like the the revival of the Sonic franchise and, you know, kind of a whole new branding and like really trying to trying to like kind of make it more kidsy again. Mm. And it was not. Let's see. I'm looking. I think I was talking about the wrong studio in Big Red Button's case. I think I was. Th- it's supposed to be Ilphonic. Yeah, Ilphonic uh, developed Sonic Boom: Rise of Lyric. This gets really confusing because so- Sonic Boom: Rise of Lyric is no. listed as being developed by Big Red Button, but then Ilphonic is listed as developing Sonic Boom. And that gets yeah, really it's weird. Very fast. I, I'm looking at it now. Big Red Button definitely had a hand in it. I'm wondering uh, if the I wonder if they changed names or something. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because it says prior to escape its past. Because <laughs> like I if you're if you're famously if you're famous for making bad games, you might try to obscure your history a bit. Yeah, because right now the only thing they have on their their website the is the Arc Slinger, which is like a mobile. Ah, yeah, they might have buried it pretty uh, hard. I, I think it's one of those like tactical rebranding. To yeah, I don't, I don't think Big Red Button is doing the Star Citizen FPS section. Uh, it's listed. Let's see. Uh, in Cloud August Imperial, 2015, no. I think it is. Uh, uh, the development and support for Star Citizen Ilphonic laid off six employees, three of which were developed involved in in development. Uh, they're listed as having they're listed as be, as working on the space trading and combat first person shooter segments of Star Citizen. Oh, this is Ilphonic you're talking about. Yeah. Now, how many games actually have multiple studios working on separate sections? Many. And all of them. Yeah, so Ilphonic apparently did help with Sonic Boom. They have nothing to do with Big Red Button. That's what I was stuck on. That's Yeah, uh, it's hard to track, but I guess Ilphonic is involved in Sonic Boom, Star Citizen, and Friday the 13th. Oh, that's a bad that's a bad track record. I don't know. Yeah. That's I I've always been kind of leery about Star Citizen. A, a ton of people are like really asking me about that. And it's like, are you going to play Star Citizen cuz you know, you're big into Dome Sky and I'm like it it feels like goddess to me. It's a whole lot of money dedicated to a promise and not a whole lot of like like it it absolutely feels like the same hype loop that happens with a game like uh, No Man's Sky, where like everyone's so into this idea, but like this game that's in their fictional mind may not even really line up with what's actually being made. And like it's really, it's really, really easy to hype things up. Like I try, I it really, really tried hard to drill this into people's heads in my existing audience back when No Man's Sky came out, because I was preemptively talking about all the ways that No Man's Sky was going to suck. <laughs> and I, and one of the ways I drew that towards towards that was like I was like let's let's go way back into the past past let's talk I made a video talking about my favorite game uh, before Dark Souls came out at least because uh, <laughs> for a while there my favorite game ever was Mass Effect One and it's still okay. it. like it's still I love Mass Effect One it's fantastic but when it came out I was watching those trailers about the exploration and the galaxy navigation and their amazing gargantuan world. And all you have to do is go back to 2006 
watch the Mass Effect 1 original trailers talking about the exploration and everything and talk about and look at how easy it is to sell the public on the idea of how incredible your exploration and gargantuan galaxy is going to be and how that's going to be the best thing ever and th- and and just watch those trailers and think about how easy it is to think this is going to be great and then go back and remember what it's like to play Mass Effect 1 when it comes to the actual galaxy exploration and the Mako segments and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, that's what those trailers were about. And the same thing goes yeah. for No Man's Sky. All those trailers built up to being that game. And it's like, it's so easy to get imaginative and hopeful about a concept without ever getting your hands on it. And now at this point, people have Is been it- doing that for for this game for like four years or something. How long has it been now? <laughs> like, no. uh as long as I've been a YouTuber, I believe. Is it possible that they were really gung-ho <gasps> about the idea, wanted to follow through with it, put this out to like pique people's interests, and then as soon as they got further along in the production, realized it was unfeasible or that they should dedicate their resources to something else, then I mean, they ditch it? That's generally true. If you're true. talking about Mass Effect, those trailers were about releasing the game when it was actually coming out soon, I think. So at that point, they knew what they had. Oh, really? Yeah. But they made Basically, the mistake of trying that again with Andromeda. Andromeda was supposed to... They they pledged the exact same promises the first game had and once again got even actually arguably even further away from their goal. So I looked up Star Citizen. It says, Development began in 2012, originally planned for release in 2014, and again in 2016. As of 2017, wow. there's no official release date. Yeah. I mean, that Oof. sort of thing is is super, super ambitious. But who, also who are really Cloud scary. Imperium games? Have they ever made anything before? Or they literally made for this one company. I oh wow, it's they're a made up company just for this one game. Mm. Yeah, maybe somebody that's more attachment to this and hype about this specific franchise has an idea of like the roots of the developers and what they did before this. But like, there's like on a yeah, surface so... level, I'm not I'm not losing a lot like a lot of like what do you call it. Uh, credentials or history or you know what i mean like back catalog of evidence of yeah so being able to they've got this. the guy that made wing the wing commander series which was great back in the day same thing with freelancer that's an ancient game yeah it is ancient like, he might, though that's he the might have like a cool idea or something for the game but like he would won't know much about modern development and as far as i can tell the other guy that's listed as like one of the main guys mostly produced movies Hmm. Oh boy! Yeah. Oh boy! So scary, always scary. I'm not yeah, gonna say a- that Star Citizen has to suck, but I'm saying I won't be surprised. <laughs> My main thing is just with those games, they're too big for right now. Yeah. Eventually, we will get something that really is what No Man's Sky promised to be, just by the like, what is it, Thousand Monkeys principle, or just have um, the idea that a company is never that has never put out a game together is now been working on one game for seven years. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were founded they're, in 2010 to make this one game, apparently. After yeah. Wildstar, I don't hype for games anymore. Nope. You were <laughs> bananas for that. I, I really hype- wanted a sci-fi MMO. I will hype for games when it feels like they've got the credentials already. Like, No Man's Sky, that was Hello Games. They'd done what? It wasn't Action, Action Hank. It was the other one. Joe Danger. Um, yeah, Joe Danger. Which is a fun game. Yeah, it is it's a, a fun game. It's a 2D side-scroller. <laughs> Yeah, it was a fun game, well made. What? But like uh games that I do get hyped for are like Divinity Original Sin, like as long as they don't fuck it up, which they didn't, I knew they're that it was going to be great. What they're doing. 
Yeah, uh, and have had a long history of failures to learn off of. Yeah, and every game getting gradually better than the last one, and to the point where Dragon Commander itself was compelling enough that I was interested in playing it, and it was like a cult hit, and they're only growing from there. We never finished there. Dragon Commander. It's because the gameplay for Dragon Commander is atrocious. They should never yeah. make an RTS, but the actual, like, talking well, to people segments are great. Well, you could marry a skeleton woman. <laughs> well, see, that was the compelling we part. Marry it was the talking one. to people. Yeah, we are going for yeah, the lizard Yeah, the weird warrior. dating simulator dragon flight sim RTS I, game. I would 100% <laughs> play a Larian Studios dating game because it would be a roller coaster. I mean, did you guys miss it when we were playing Divinity Original Sin 2 about how your character was being prompted to tell the story of the dragon who married the elf princess? Oh. Yeah. Huh. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So I That's suppose, a nice tie-in. I, I suppose I canonically, you're supposed to marry the elf princess. Yeah, but like... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because she's the slut that wants to sleep with the entire ship. Yeah, I I heard about that. Doesn't wah, she wah. cheat on your character? I yeah, you can have her sleep with the entire ship, and it gives everybody wait, wait, morale. Wait, what do you mean by you have her do no, that? You, you can give her permission to sleep with the entire ship, and she will uh, doing so. Uh, the entire ship gets a uh, morale boost. What? Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the reason why I said no elf. Let's go lawyer chick. Well, I, I liked the, I liked the lizard lady a lot more. Um, she was a judge. Hey, don't slut shame. <laughs> uh, but I I really I really am actually hyped for a couple of games that are coming out. I mean, Super Mario Odyssey by all rights probably deserves the hype it gets. Um, just because I mean at that point at this point the pedigree is just so good. Even the like iffy Mario games are are amazing. Uh, there's SteamWorld Dig 2, which I'm looking forward to. Hob. Uh, do you know about Hob? I don't think so. You might, you might be interested in Hob. It's a, uh, it's like a Metroidvania puzzle game. Is it by um, the Torchlight people? Yeah, made by the guys that made Torchlight. Which is like a little bit of a jump, but at the same time it looks really nice. Uh, and then there's also Echo, which you might be kind of interesting. You know what else is not... a, a, a Metroidvania puzzle game? Yeah, Fidel. Tori 2 Plus. Oh, never mind. Wait, Tokitori? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tried playing Tokitori 2 Plus. I actually really like Tokitori, the first one, but also, like, that studio kind of died, so. It 2 Plus made a weird. They, it made waves for a little bit in the critical circles on YouTube because it was like, a, it was weirdly like it was a Metroidvania puzzle game where you. The thing stopping you from navigating the world was just learning each individual puzzle mechanic as you go. But technically, you could have gone everywhere from the beginning, and it's supposed to be like a shockingly in-depth experience. And I've I've just yeah, been like no. waiting to play everything, it sooner or later. But sure, wish it didn't look like that. Yeah, everything that I think that's two tribes games. Everything they made was actually really well made, but they didn't know the markets, so they never did well, and it sucked. Like Rive was pretty good too, but their timing, their their advertising, their whatever, it just was atrocious. Were you saying that the company is dead now or something? Yeah, Two Tribes Games shut down to go off and do other things. Oof. What do you mean by shut down and then do other things? Uh, what do you mean? So Rive, the game they put out most recently, was their last one. Uh, previously, they'd made like a whole bunch of games that nobody gives a shit about. I guess they made or helped with uh, Worms, Worms, a World, Worms World Party, Bonk's Return, Garfield, Tale of Two Kitties. Really? Uh, yeah, a whole lot of nothing. Then they made sword, Swords and Soldiers, which was actually, like, 
did really well. Oh, they made a- Edge too. Yeah, they started uh, just getting on indie development because making licensed stuff was not working for them. Um, and then they started. They redid Tor- Toki Tori, which was originally a Game Boy game. They redid it uh, and I made it better they call in 3D. It defunct. Yeah, that's what that, what that's what they use when something has been abolished. But yeah, I now suppose. now it is defunct. They've they've stopped development and are moving on to other things, I guess. Uh it's interesting to see game developers that are doing okay willingly like actually just stop. Yeah. Some people sometimes they just have different ideas of where they want to go from there on out. Yeah. It was also like only like five guys working their tops. Oh. Or maybe two. It was that not would much. Do it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's small. I guess they did file for bankruptcy because Toki Tori 2 didn't do well. Oh. Yeah. That would make playing that game feel tragic. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh, no. Happens. Uh, What had bankrupt THQ? Uh, Their dumb drawing game that they decided to go all in on physical... like physical Oh, right. You're talking about tablets. tablets. Yeah. So, like, it did really well on the Wii and they're like... Okay, let's put this on every platform and overproduce. Mm. And it they they drained themselves doing so. And I can still go into GameStop and find that game. I haven't heard anything the U-Draw? about Darksiders still stock yet. It? Some places do. I will like walk in and there's a U draw on the shelf, and I'm like, what? Huh. That's amazing. Mm. I mean, I don't go to bar- uh, GameStop that much, so this is like within the last three years. Yeah, I can't say that I've looked. Like. For years now, every time I go to a GameStop, it's literally to pick up, like, a console or some kind of, like, video game currency card because I'm having to work around some kind of technical issue for paying for games or something like that. Or, like, literally, like, that new release, can I have it now? Like, because I'm getting physical for some reason. Like, uh, like mm-hmm. I had to, I went and got a physical copy of Tokyo Mirage Sessions, for example. So I don't actually walk in around the store. I literally walk to the desk and say, can I have that game? And yep. then I leave. <laughs> Because they don't, the store is pointless if you know what you want. Because not yeah. all the games are re- are fake; they're boxes, as, and they give you the real kid, one. As a kid, I'd love to go to GameStop just so I could dream about all these games I could never play because my parents would never let me buy any of them. <laughs> we um, would like to find good deals on used ones, but, but like, now the deals aren't probably yeah, any good. Yeah, the deals are bad, and like now that I'm an adult that pays attention to l- almost every single new new release, it's like. Oh, this is just shit I already know about, or if I already played, like, why bother? Uh, but I guess that's more of kind of a me being super tied to the industry thing as opposed to a uh, me just knowing better. But yeah, there's not often a lot of reason to buy used games anymore because so much of the game, like, almost anything made in the last ten years has has digital copies now, and mm. so like you just wait for it to go on sale, incredibly cheap as a digital copy, which happens all the time. Because they don't have had to, to buy Miss Three open. and Four though. Yeah, I had to, I had to buy physical copies well, of, three, of Miss Three and Four because they're ancient games. But those games Ubisoft. aren't from the. They're not. They're very much not from the last ten years. Uh, but most games, like yeah, it's like oh, I didn't quite get around to Dead Rising Four at launch or three or some other game like that, and it's like oh well, here it is for three dollars on Steam a few years later. It's like what like it would actually be more expensive to buy a used copy at GameStop than some of the sales you get for these games nowadays. Yeah, that's, that used to be a PC thing, but now it's also an Xbox One and PS4 thing on a regular basis. Like PS- well, also, oh, sorry. Um, also, with a lot of the consoles, 
they because they nixed backwards compatibility and people have moved on from older systems like what you really have no need for the discs and of the older games right uh depends but yeah generally most things are just digital codes nowadays and the discs are just useless at least for pc consoles console discs are are still useful, but as a YouTuber, I actually try and avoid them because my PS4 sometimes gets kind of loud. Like, I was having that problem with uh, Destiny when we were playing it. Wait, but PS4 is backwards compatible with no. 3, 2, 1? Nope, it's not. That's what I mean. That's what oh, I was just saying. Oh, that, like, mm. people have the new systems now and they can't use the old discs. Well, so even if they wanted to... That's their own yeah. choice. If, I mean, not. I mean, they, they, they weren't, like, forcefully evicted from having their old consoles. Like, if they... If they want to play the old games, then they can just play the old games on the old console that they have no reason to sell because they won't even make good money off it anyway. No, like, I, I was just saying for like new people that are buying their first console and getting the most recent one, it's a little bit prohibitive going back and going to find used versions of older games because they would have to buy three systems in order to play them. I just... It's almost not even worth it to some degree because like HD remakes are super popular nowadays so like for anything... nintendo but what about the other ones N well i mean okami is being yeah i love uh, hd re-release they're re-releasing the the entirety of the dot hack games hack really? yeah yeah Weird. they are they're re-releasing like I've a lot been of interested in seeing the manga and the anime for that but never got around to they're it. not good oh. only the games are good <laughs> and even the games are extremely long like i had a friend who's so into dot hack he was trying to get me to play them so I we could like discuss it and I was like, oh maybe I will and I look at like dot hack Is one, two, three, and four and I'm like No. When was that originally released? Could that arguably want be one of the first series made about people playing it an MMO in a game? It generally was, yes. The game within a game. Yeah. Yeah. The show about people that are stuck in a game where then we made a game about the show about the game with the show with the <laughs> people, the game coma. <laughs> Is it a boy or a girl? <laughs> Nobody can tell. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember Dot Hack anymore at all, but I remember it not being satisfied with it by the end. It was. All I remember is that the main character has the weird hat and teal hair and is a boy, right? Yes. Yeah. And then there was the uh, pink haired girl. Well, Dot, Dot Hack comes from the family of anime and video games and whatever where every female character is dressed immodestly so the uh, main characters mm -hmm. look the male uh, most of the main males will look effeminate and all the chicks will have <laughs> very little uh actual clothing on or they will look like they're they're wearing like a giant dress thing and it's generally pretty obvious from there too and that then was the a ride was that one of those anime that ends with like on a really vague note yeah, it does. Like like Wolf Rain, where it's yes. just like the uh, final note is like uh, the final the like the entire episode. Like there was a period of time of specific brands of anime that would often get aired on like Adult Swim, where the when you finally got to the finale, it, the entire final episode or two felt like some kind of weird foggy dream because of how like inarticulate it started to get, and then it just yeah. kind of rolls to cuts to credits, and then the show ends, and you're like, what happened? I think it was one of those uh, where they were trying to introduce this like kind of super cerebral sci-fi element that like was kind of sinister going on in the background that are almost like unexplicable phenomenon to begin with and they're trying to tie it into a bunch of people playing video like a video game um and so 
when it came time to like tie it up, they're just like, and it was uh this, this, and this, and this, and then it ends, and everybody wakes up, and everybody's happy, and it's like, wait, I missed that. Can you go back? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually kind of remarkable how much the aesthetic of Dot Hack looks like Fantasy Star Online to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes me kind of just want to play Fantasy Star <laughs> instead. Uh, we tried doing it. It was fun, but some of those side quests were like worthlessly oh, yeah. annoying. Fantasy Star oh, yeah. Online episodes one and two feels like a really specific expression of like psychosis, where you just like press a three button combo sequence over and over again with a specific timing, almost like almost like hypnotically. And then before, and then two hundred hours later, you've beaten the game, and you're not really sure what you did differently along the way. I liked, I, I think for me, Fantasy Star Online was more about the setting and kind of the mystery of it all. And then it never really actually answered any questions. You're like, well, I guess that was kind of fun. And I got a frying pan now that makes a really satisfying noise when I hit enemies with it. <laughs> Fantasy Star Online was one of those biggest cases of a game that I was really into for some reason, but I couldn't articulate what it was about it because it wasn't the part where I was hitting buttons to play a video game. No. Something about like the environment and the sounds and the feedback of hitting things, like something about well, the overall experience besides the part where I'm just pressing a button like ha ha. Well, it was ha, it was one of the well, first like, the point. It was like one of the first kind of action RPGs with like not deepish RPG mechanics, but like at the time, I mean that was a Dreamcast game. There really weren't a whole lot of like other functional action jrpgs out there that you could play with like friends or whatever and like geez what other action rpgs were there at the time not many this is, we're talking early 2001 yeah. this is like the same time diablo 2 was around yeah diablo 2 uh was around at this point usually those were... the games were isometric i would say if they were an action yeah. rpg that had yeah, multiplayer you would click on the, you would click on things um Let's see, was... Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Let's see that what year that PS2, came out. That was PS2, though. That was years later. That came out 2001. Same year really? as Fancy Star. Really? Yep. Huh. I... Uh, it had a... Let's see. It had a head start of most of 2001, though. Because Fancy Star yeah. was the beginning of the year. But yeah, that's like the same-ish time. That was well, Dark Alliance was definitely like... Dark oh, yeah. Alliance was Dark definitely Alliance. better from like a gameplay perspective because it was D&D. Yeah, but it did not have the setting to go for it. Like, do you like dark and dreary, vaguely catacomb looking passages all the time? Yeah. There you go. Hey, so many games are dark and dreary. And I now. don't like it. It's I so really boring. want color. Uh, kind of on that topic, actually. Uh, have you heard anything about Project Octopath Traveler or no idea? These are all new sounds for me. Okay, you could have uh, made that up just now. <laughs> I could have. Uh, and with a name like and that, I, I did. probably should have. No. Uh, so the people that made the Bravely, uh, Bravely, default, Bravely default game are making a, uh, a more or less kind of an I Am Setsuna like for the, for the Switch. Oh. Um, where it's like kind of a return to form <laughs> no. for JRPGs. But you're having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's actually really good. Uh, That's because you annihilated an entire village several times so over. So there's a, there's a couple of things about it. So when I say like I'm Setsuna, like I mean it's in the same vein as I'm Setsuna, Golden Sun, Secret of Mana. You know, kind of. Wait, those are really different. Uh, 
Well, like the, the storytelling, the worst part about evoking I Am Setsuna is because is that literally the only thing I can think about when I think about that game anymore is a total lack of vision or you creativity still need to or originality. The last episodes of that, yeah, I finished that. Yeah, you didn't yeah, put all I the know. episodes. I think up. I think Wander has finished about twenty games and fully recorded them that haven't been ever released. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Even um, though some of them were started and then just stopped on the channel. Yep. But so like this podcast when I, when I yeah when I say <laughs> I'm Setsuna, uh, I I just mean like kind of the classic JRPG style. Obviously, different mechanics and stuff like that. And I can't tell you if the vision is good, but like the voice acting, because uh, everything is voice acted is really nice. The problem is uh, they're doing like it looks like Final Fantasy six sprites and stuff, uh, but on 3D environments, which is a little odd. Uh, and then it gets kind of bloomy and washed out. Uh, so it almost feels like you took uh, an old JRPG and then tried to run it under a 50 cent uh, blood in the sand filter. Um, what? Yeah. A very I, specific thing to latch on to. That, that is the game I point to when, I, when I'm talking about like modern brown. Um, <laughs> what? Because like, so what? what? What is it? What's the name of the game again? Project Octopath Traveler. This definitely uh, doesn't come up on the developer. Yeah, it's uh, it's a new thing. They announced it a couple of days ago, and they have a demo out. Uh, but it's you play as one of eight different characters, and each has their own story that you go through. So eight different campaigns, and I think they like intersect at different points, so you can kind of see the different sides of everything. But so far, you can only play as yeah. The, the demo only lets you play as like the first the half hour of both characters. But each character has like their own combat style, sort of, and they've got oh. their own like kind of interact with the world ability like the can break rocks or can do whatever uh but it's a little bit more nebulous but um it's got a really cool combat system where every enemy has like an elemental weakness kind of persona style and if you hit them with the elemental weakness the right way they get stunned and then you get to hit them for bonus damage but there's a boost system so every turn you get plus one to your boost gauge and you can use that to either attack an enemy like multiple times or really buff the damage of one of your spells uh, so it's a little bit more like interesting tactically than say you know Final Fantasy VI was at least from the outset. Uh, well, I, I but... found the point of confusion. Okay, this game has nothing to do with the Bravely Default co- developer. Really, it's developed by Acquire, the people that were recently making Akiba's Trip, the game where you like beat women until their clothes fall off or something. Wait, what? Yep, that's a whole genre in Japan. There's a trilogy yeah. of Akiba's Trip games where you like get people's clothes to come off. One second. I'd swear I was reading this on the no, website. It's, it's a choir. That's the developer that used to make no, no. Uh, Tenchu oh, like 10 years here, ago. Here we the go. Producers ago. Here's the confusion. The, Bravely the producers of the Bravely series That's are just doing Square this. Enix. <laughs> yeah. They uh, produce like 50 games a year. Well, no, I, um, looking at this, it, it actually means like the, the, the specific guys that did it. Right, not just right now, Square the people Enix. making that made Bravely Default and Bravely Second are making Terra Battle 2. Oh. All right, but uh, so different dev studio, but the heads are apparently the same. Um, but it, from my experience, it was actually kind of charming. I don't know how much they're going to charge for it and whatnot, and that'd be kind of a deciding factor. Uh, but it, it looks like a good kind of return to form, uh, traditionalist JRPG, uh, which I guess charming. Like I, I am Setsuna was lacking vision, and this one might too. But it is kind of nice to see. Kind of the return to more more of the like old school there. I'm just trying to imagine what game would 
knocking people's clothes off? It's bad. <laughs> it's you're really, you're really I mean, focused this is, on that. This she reminds is. me of when Wander was a- attempting to get me to watch an anime with him where, what was it, a cooking The cooking show where people's clothes fly off because they love the food yes. so much. Yeah. Yes, that one. We couldn't get through the first like two episodes because it just became too awkward. Uh, when initiated into battle, you have many weapons to choose from, such as computers, body pillows, and baseball bats. <laughs> you can hit uh-huh. people with body pillows. Which themselves tend to have a picture of a, of a person on them because that's the whole point nowadays. Uh, that almost feels like a, that almost feels yeah, like the a, people oh, developing the game he's talking about. That almost feels like a weapon in uh, EDF. But I guess <laughs> developer pe- pedigree aside, it's I, I mean it's not a bad game uh, from what I've seen. But I, I've only played two hours of it because effectively they give you the first half hour, and then I was just like, I'm gonna play a little bit more just to see what I can do. Uh, but so. There's two different characters. There's, it's not Penelope, it's Primrose. Primrose and Ulbrich, I think it was. And so Primrose is like this female dancer and apparently she's beautiful. So her her interaction move is Allure. So you can play Pokemon with random townspeople. Um, and by what I mean by that is you can literally just walk around town and find random villagers that you're like, you're going to help me out now. And they will just be a teammate that you can summon and like they will fight for you. And the strongest one in the village was the old man yeah, or something. So you know how in like uh in old JRPGs or actually just most RPGs in every town there's like kind of the town greeter that's like welcome to Bulbulburk, uh the the land of the uh, silky meadows and that's all he says over and over and over again. <laughs> He's the strongest person in the starting town. Oh god. And so I recruited him and he just crushed Almost everything for me. I mean, it wasn't like ridiculously OP, but it was just like weird to have the town greeter as this like old man, like grandmaster fighter guy just wrecking things for me. And I was just like, this is really silly and I love it. I've um, come up but- with a way to explain the visuals of this game because I've okay. na- I finally looked it up now, the, vi- the the screenshots. And like they basically took like Final Fantasy VI graphics, like the old, like the later day Final Fantasy 2D games that are sprites. Yeah. And then they turned it into a tilt shift Paper Mario with the like parody, like realism air quotes, like brown and bloomy effect, uh, f- mm-hmm. color filter that some games have as a joke. That's yeah. more or less what the game looks like. Yeah, Very so- heavy tilt shift in some of these scenes, by the way. Yes. It's weird. It kind of works. I don't think it works as well in this one. Oh, I, don't think it wor- I don't think it works yeah. quite as well as that other weird anach- anachronistic 2D, 3D game we talked about for E3. Which looked oh. awesome. Uh, yeah. That, like, yeah, cyberpunk-looking the... 2D, 3D yeah, hybrid that... mishmash thing. That one looked a lot better. I think this one would have been much better if... And it might actually just be a symptom of this being the demo. Uh, but they have way too many repeating textures and whatnot. And it makes everything look kind of bad. Like, I'm looking at a specific... Here, can I... I'm just going to send I mean, you I, to the... I mean, I found a screenshot of them being in a cave. And the yeah, cave looks like rats. all of those... Yeah, the picture with the rats, and it's that cave where... I've actually seen those formations in real life. It's a thing where water pouring down the rock creates this weird thing where it looks like a chocolate fountain and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's so little texture repeating so rapidly in such a little space. It looks like the game was like some part of like Ludum Dare, like make this game on only 50 megabytes challenge because they didn't have storage <laughs> for like a slightly larger yeah. texture. I'm really crossing my fingers that this is just a, the effect of it being in development because... 
it is not listed for this year. It's like sometime next year. So hopefully they they add more to it because even the voice acting was uh, spotty. And once again, why the releasable demos and I think they just want to get people like in on it and talking about it. Like they were actively asking for feedback. So do you you think they'll change the title? I hope so because Project Project Octopath Octopath. Traveler sounds stupid, but also the logo has a tiny project in the corner with Octopath (sighs) Traveler in big bold, but like in an unfiltered font. I I actually yeah I mean they say working title, so it's probably not going to be the same thing. Like yeah. It even on the Nintendo site it says Project Octopath Traveler working title in parentheses, uh. But like one of my uh, one of my fans has suggested the name like why not just Eightfold Travelers or something basic like it's generic but it would work. But hopefully they hopefully they like go back in because the combat system is great. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the combat system is great. the The storytelling was like a little bit generic, but actually like good in its own right, and. Uh, the like interesting mechanics for each character were fun because so I, I told you about Primrose and how she could she could recruit people. The other guy, Ulberic, can challenge people to duels. Everyone. <laughs> and so the way it's presented is like, hey Ulberic, you're like this great fighter. Can you like train the town guard so uh so, you know, they can fend off bandits better and the threats to the town. And he's like, okay, I can do that. Um, but it's, you know, the old, the like old man of the town asking you to do this. And the cutscene ends and you're supposed to go and train on these two dudes standing nearby. Except for I'm standing in front of the old man who, as soon as the cutscene ends, has a little duel me symbol above his head. So I beat the shit out of the, the old man that's the, you know, the headman for the town. The, the mother of the young child that had come to get us, the two guys, uh, and just everybody else in town to the point where the entire town was unconscious on the ground, and I was like significantly richer. And then bandits attack, and you everybody's like on the ground again. Person. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was definitely a. But no be- one cared. Yeah, they no one cared. Back. Everybody popped back up and was totally fine for the bandit attack. That's- and uh, uh, mild spoilers, but like the little boy gets kidnapped. And the mother's like, oh, no, you have to get my son back. And I'm like, yes, I can, lady. And then I promptly beat the shit out of her as soon as the uh, the cutscene was over, as well as the rest of the town. And then I went off to go rescue the kid. <laughs> kind of great when a mechanic a- applies to everybody in a video yes. game. Like It was magic. A magical instance of this is in Dragon's Dogma, which is that the game tries to determine who your love interest is by just looking oh. at NPCs that you interact with the most and stuff like that and tries to determine who you would care <laughs> the most about. And then in the climax of of the story, the character of the game that the game thinks you care about the most gets kidnapped. And, like, you have to, like, resolve to do a quest uh, as part of the main story to potentially save that person. But but because of how they coded it, for a lot of people, just the most accessible, easy-to-find shopkeeper in the game tends to be your supposed love interest. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) It's this bearded dude that you, like, don't even know the name (laughs) of. Yeah. That's that is pretty great. He's just some shopkeeper that's in the middle of town square, and he's really easy to get to, and he's the most go-to character. I know you exactly who you're talking about. And that I dude is like gets kidnapped as your love interest, and the and the game treats him like your love interest because he tr- you because you had maximum like reputation with that character and stuff. 
That is amazing. It went to the point where they had to add a special sub-quest in the re-release or later version where they uh, added a thing where you can get the uh, the Arisen's Bond. It was was essentially the equivalent of like an engagement ring that you could give to somebody to lock them in as being the person that that would happen Uh... to because the core system didn't work because they would just kidnap the shopkeeper. (laughs) That's that's great. So the culmination of me dueling everybody was eventually uh, more NPCs popped up in the town because the tutorial kind of like intro stuff was over, the prologue. And it's just like, okay, yeah, you're you're free to go about your business and do do whatever now. And a couple more NPCs were in town. Inclu- uh, there was the head of the guard who I was not able to beat the tar out of originally. And there was also a barmaid. So I walk over to the barmaid and I'm like, oh, she's going to be easy. And she's like you know, six stars out of ten or something like that, and she just destroyed me with two spells, and I was like, that is a ridiculously strong barkeeper, why? <laughs> um. So I gave up fighting this her, and I'm like, a- okay. Accurately re- represented a difficulty range. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna walk over, and I'm gonna go find that old man town greeter from the previous game and just fight my way up, and I was level ten. I don't know what the maximum level is. I fight the old man, and he just crushes me, too. He was even stronger than the barmaid, and I'm like, well, at least I saw this one coming, but like, yeesh. Hmm. Um, but I don't know. It was just really fun and charming, even if it was me mostly just abusing the mechanics for my own enjoyment. We've been playing the hell out of Mario Rabbids lately. It is good. It's really fun. I just have one qualm with it that bothers me, okay. which is that after you beat each world, they give you an ability that lets you unlock all the side route secret stuff throughout the world you just beat so to give you incentive to go play through it again. And then they pepper through that like 10 challenges that are essentially like some of them are like difficult scenarios or like fend off this scenario. Some of them are like defeat everybody in one turn. And then some of them are like straight up like puzzle scenarios. And I have a bit of an issue with those just because this is a game where you can level up and stuff like that. Oh, so you like, mean that the challenges are boring if you go if you've gone too far past them? They're 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 boring to literally like pointless at times. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. I stopped doing the challenges once I realized that I was just crushing them single handedly. So what what uh, I'm doing? I'm because I'm only in the first world so far. As I beat the first world, then I'm going back and playing all the challenges afterwards yeah, of, of the first that's world. What you're and supposed that's, to do. that's how I'm going to do the entire game. But uh, I'm just noticing the obvious gap here is that. If they're pro- if they're going to call them challenges, it really feels like you should be forced to play characters that have specific weapons and specific stat levels and specific exact range that you have to actually beat the challenge as a player as opposed to just being better than it. Because yeah, like uh, like like even the pre order bonus or that, that that the game gives you, which I didn't even pre order the game, but they gave it to me anyway. Of those like eight bit guns. Are like yeah. so powerful well, that, was that you can one shot stuff. I didn't. Need, I don't have a season pass or a pre order, and I have them. That's weird. So like, okay. I have these. We- I have these guns that like break the progression a little bit, and like, like having that kind of stuff means that when you get to the first challenges, you can just one shot most of the enemies, and like that. How far are you in pointless. though? One, I, I just told you first world. Oh okay. So I played, so, the, I played the first world, and now I'm doing the challenges, and I'm just saying it, like. These challenges, if to fit the premise of the idea, should make you play as fixed characters. Probably. If it makes you feel any better, uh, I more or less did the exact same thing. Um, But I... I would say once you get up to the third world of the game, it's actually not so bad because it kind of plateaus 
Uh, well, around there. Here's the other issue, though, is that some of them are like survival scenarios. They just have to beat by being either cunning or high level or whatever. But other ones are puzzles. Yeah. And the puzzles rely on your characters having an exact movement range, an exact no, I, jump range, and so on and I so definitely, forth. I definitely had a couple of those where I just brute forced it because my Luigi was so much faster. Yeah. Uh, like the first one, he gets Quantum Leap, and the trick is that you have to do some really crazy stuff that it, where you manipulate the enemies into knocking you into the goal, essentially. But if you have... But like you can literally increase your movement range with your experience points kind of whenever you feel like in this game. Yeah. So like you could, so like if you get high enough level, you just run to the exit or characters can reach each other and throw them to the exit where in the default uh, challenge setup at, lo- at low level characters, you can't reach each other. So you have to use the enemies, which is the point of the puzzle. Yeah. So uh, again, like I was saying, the first two worlds, their challenges are probably going to feel a little odd as a result because they don't scale well like you can you can cheese them by by being over leveled and stuff the world three and world four challenges are scaled for world four and plus so they're actually like hard enough the only real problem is the first two worlds are kind of poorly balanced because uh the pre-order weapons are really strong for the first world and then the golden guns you get from the secret chapter are really good for the second world and then once you've got through the second world uh, everything actually levels out pretty hard, uh, and you don't have to worry about it nearly as much as I think you you probably are. It's just uh, at least it's from just my too bad that there was an oversight for balancing like even basic yeah. movement distances in a well, puzzle. I was actually saying that kind of as part of the game. I like the uh, skill tree system. I think that was fine. I actually don't like the fact that um, that Mario, you know, the cast of characters and enemies gain more HP and damage over the course of it. Because it's this like kind of silly arms race to nowhere, because they all just scale mostly evenly. Uh, I, I guess in the end, my cast was a little bit tougher uh, proportionally to the beginning of the game. Like Luigi could definitely take more than a couple of hits, uh, but I almost wished everybody just had like three hearts, and that was you know three to five hearts. That's that's their health, and each gun does you know three to five hearts of damage. Because uh, the the scaling system felt a little stilted, especially like later on. Have you really looked at the skill trees for any of the guys or now? I mean, I've looked at them. There's not okay too much I've... to them. A lot of them are almost the same, with like yeah. a really core difference of like the, each character having a super special second weapon that's usually different. Sort of. So, uh, who do you who do you use primarily right now? Uh, I use Mario. Luigi and Rabid Peach, which okay. is literally every character I have besides Rabid Luigi. So I I use Rabid Rabid Luigi uh, over Rabid Peach. The heal from Rabid Peach was good, but Rabid Luigi gets a really strong dash attack, and if you build him right, your his dash can one shot things up until World Three. Um, but it also procs the vampirism effect, which is whenever you hit an enemy that has been hit by a vampirism proc, you heal off of them. So he would dash into an enemy first, and then I'd shoot him and get like 100, 200 HP back. Uh, rinse, repeat. And so uh, he ended up being kind of the puzzle killer. Uh, or not puzzle killer, but the challenge killer. Him and uh, Rabid Mario. Because the two of them have like the most ridiculous dash moves ever. And it's like, here's like 10 enemies, defeat them in two turns. And I'm like, Rabid Mario just dashed through all of them. And every time Rabid Mario dashes into something, 
they explode for 100 damage. So five tightly packed enemies explode and die. So like that very first challenge, all I had to do was just run rabid Mario at it and everybody else just stood to the side. The dash mechanic uh, is kind of strange, isn't it? It is strange. Like you but have like, a movement actually, range, but then you can run anywhere in that movement range to hit a dude. And then intuitive, you would, you would think like, okay, now I need to like, now I have to use my remaining move to go somewhere else. But like, no, it actually doesn't. You can actually then continually run anywhere within your existing movement range you had originally, even if it's in clearly the opposite direction. Yeah, I don't remember why, uh, which game that's pulled from. That is definitely pulled from like another uh like kind of tactical Nintendo product, but I don't remember which one. Um It took me a while to pick that, it up because intuitively yeah. I'm like that that would never work that way, right? It totally works that way. And I'm like, why is it working? I figured why it, does out it work immediately that way? and I was like, it's this so is weird. so it's so abusable. It's so wonderfully abusable. Yeah. Uh but like that you kinda as have like to. someone like like Rapid Peach, you can like just hit like four characters in a row with melee attacks, then run in the exact opposite direction for the entire original movement distance you had because it's not affected by dashing at all. Yep. And then like hit another character and like jump off of them into another enemy and then fi- then finally go get around to firing your weapon and using your special. It's like holy shit, oh, yeah. you have like step you have like seven stage turns sometimes. Yeah, there it it was super satisfying and and like pulling off the right combo against like a ton of guys was just so gratifying. I a lot of people have been like uh warning me it's like okay, by the time you hit world 2 it's going to be like really hard and good luck uh getting, you know, maximum uh was it gold trophies or whatever they are? I never the seen coin, one of them. The coin yeah. ranking thing. Yeah, I except for uh rabid uh rabid kong and the inevitable Bowser Jr. battle, I I don't think you have to worry too much about that. Um, but except for those two fights, I actually perfected every single uh, chapter of the game up in, uh, up until those two. It seems the only two requirements are beat it next number of turns and don't let anyone go down, right? Yeah, correct. And uh, eventually you have a cast of eight people, so if anybody gets injured, except for Mario, you can just hot swap them and not have to worry about it. So I tended to use... All of my like secondary characters as, uh, you know, suicidal meat bags up until they take too much damage, and then I pull them back and just hide them for the rest of the mission, and then switch them out for the next one. Though that yeah. generally didn't matter because the vamp dash thing I was talking about, Rabid Ouija was never ever wounded. He was always full health, no matter how many times he got shot. Your stats and percentages and behavior of every single input you do are so set in stone. Aside from the 50-50 chance of hitting someone behind cover when when you make the mistake of trying half the time. Like, there's so much stuff set in stone. There's so many mechanics that are consistent. It makes solving the level like a puzzle so satisfying yeah, throughout I, the campaign. That, that it really does like, make you think, like, maybe the like the Skinner box... Not, not Skinner box, because it's not a Skinner box. But maybe the progression system shouldn't exist so it can be yeah. really balanced. That's why I was saying everybody should have had fixed health. Because it was such this, like, beautiful puzzle game... And they kind of ruined it by having it scale up like that. But even even with the scaling, it still did feel quite puzzly the entire way through. Like, the joy of figuring out just how to complete a level perfectly was just super satisfying. It's a real neat game. Came out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> Just showed yeah, up on our, really our laps. Like, we heard about three months ago for the first time, I think. Yeah, it, it showed out. up at E3. They had, like, maybe some words about it, and everybody's just like, what the hell is this? And then it was good, and it was like, oh. Here we are. 
unexpected yeah. big selling point of the Switch all of a sudden. Yeah. Rabbit and Mario. <laughs> the Switch is doing really well. We should probably switch to something that Shell can talk about. Do we want to talk about uh, Divinity Original Sin to finish off? We could. Okay. There's not very much asleep. to talk about yet because oh. we played for two hours. Oh, you actually just fell asleep. Yeah. Oh, oh did she actually <laughs> fall asleep? Yeah, she did. I've, I've been having a hard time keeping my eyes open this whole time, and I'm like, you guys are talking you about wanna, rabbits. You I will go close my eyes, so and then I notice that, you know, when you're That'll about well to go to... That'll bode well for our Divinity series we're about to record, in, like, tonight. <laughs> yeah, go take a nap. We'll play just a micro nap. You'll be fine. Mm, but I, I took, like, a, what, two-minute nap? I don't know. That's hardly, hardly viable. So what are you, Tesla? Last, last night, Bird and I... Uh, we 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 had that like first night, which is wonderful. The game the game was super super satisfying. And then you're like, by the way, I'm not going to be available for another session tomorrow because I'm going to be at Andrews. And we're both like, no. <laughs> uh, so we decided we're just going to play through the stuff that we've already played through before because we played we played the game on launch at early access with Stainless and Purple, who had actually thought the game was going to be a like Diablo. They didn't think it was going to be a turn-based RPG. They and didn't think we'd didn't have to talk to people. you guys them at all? Or did they... Stainless gave me a copy and said, we're playing this tonight. And I'm like, are you sure about this? And he's like, yeah, it looks fun. And I'm like, okay. So he backed we get Divinity there. on Kickstarter. Isn't that how he got the copy? Yeah, he backed it for like 200 bucks or Without something like that. Without even checking oh. what it was? Yeah, or asking me, seeing as I had, oh, had a fuck. series on it. But <laughs> So we get into it. We land on the island, we walk over, find an NPC to start talking to, and almost immediately bird and stainless check out and they wander off. And then eventually everybody is just attacking random things and nobody's nobody's communicating and no I'm trying to be together. like oh, no. Yeah, I'm How trying to be like hope oh, that bad. I, I I was actively trying to be like, okay, so we probably want to keep together and we're gonna have to actually read this because all of this matters. And then stainless, you know, Okay, so in Divinity Original Sin, mild spoilers, because this technically hasn't hit my channel yet. Well, no, it will by the time this episode goes up, and it will probably be fine for you. Uh, but there's that lizard lady that gets blown up. Stainless and was I the ate one her that, leg. Yeah, Stainless was I'm... the one that walked into that dialogue, <laughs> and he went, one, 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 one. Okay, we're what done. What the fuck? And then we fought the... Uh, there's, there's some crocodiles we will fight uh, probably tonight. And we fought that, and that was the end of it. And that was like an hour, hour and a half long session. And that didn't even include the tutorial boat. Like, the tutorial the boat tutorial thing... The tutorial boat's new? It was new, yeah. You okay. just wake up on the beach. Uh, you woke up on the beach in the in the demo session. And it was it was kind of... It wasn't a nightmare, but it was very clearly, like, the wrong people for the wrong game. Uh, or, like, well, I don't know. I don't know how you want to say it, but, like... That was not a good combination. Yeah, I just looked up the Kickstarter and you needed to pledge $90 for this game to get four copies for PC. Oh, that actually wasn't so bad then. But uh, Still, though, that's so far to dive in in a game without even checking what it is. Yep. Like, uh, yeah, I'll just get the CRPG and play it like Diablo. What could go wrong? Yeah. I, Oof. So, Bird and I so decided... So Diablo, you really don't talk with anyone? Not really. Diablo really, that... like, ruined top-down RPGs for a lot of people, didn't they? Because like, that did, happened, yeah. That, like, I have to admit, that happened to me at one point. Like, I played Diablo when I was, like, 10 years old. And eventually, down the road, I would try, uh, 
was I eventually tried Dungeons and Dragons, the Temple of Elemental Evil, which I picked up oh, at their store. That and game I, is good, but it is word heavy. And I also tried uh, Fallout, like one or two. I don't remember which one what it was. One, it was because Fallout Three was like, "I'm this is amazing." So I tried to play the previous ones, and in both cases, I was like, "I literally don't understand how to play this game because I'd never yeah. heard of a CRPG before, and I was just dumped in like that." Yeah, so even like it happened to me Shell too. really hadn't heard about them. And it's interesting because, like, technically, like, if you think about it throughout history, like, I think the majority of top-down RPGs were CRPGs, not Diablo, like, dungeon crawler, like, click spam games. Yeah. But that's the most, like, the, the Diablo franchise are several of the most popular PC games of all time. Yeah, well, it's because it's it's much easier to get into. Classic CRPGs are are dense like yeah even fallout moved away from them black isle died the only reason so why they still exist is because of larian studios and obsidian it leads to a thing where like uh crpgs dominate the library catalog but diablo dominates the brain space for everybody and like that's what everyone associates with that visual so i can kind of see how that happens if like somebody just blindly just grabs it's an RPG and it's top down. It's you click on shit and blow it up. I get it. And then you get it into it and you're like, these people are talking to me and they won't stop. <laughs> yeah. Why won't they and stop it's not talking always, to me? It's not always voice acted. So sometimes like you have to just sit there and read, which really isn't a problem unless you're let's playing it. I like just the idea of somebody grabbing divinity and being like one, 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 one. <laughs> yeah. It was get over it. Go back to the fighting. <laughs> it was it was bad, especially so what Bird and I did was actually kind of the same thing. We made a pair of undead and specked them into poison magic and summoning and stuff. And we're like, we're just going to go through and we're going to fight anybody that displeases us, which ultimately became we are going to kill everyone. Uh, every <laughs> single person breathes. Did your helmets blow off just like Keith's? Uh, because we weren't, uh, what's, what's your character's name, Keith? Fane. Yeah, because we weren't Fane, we didn't have helmets at all. We just had hoods. Turns out, by the way, if you take your hood off, everybody attacks you. Yes. That they, that's We've, the warning I read to you when we started our campaign, was mm. the warning of being an undead. Well, which, so, which they would have shown you when you made your undead as a giant warning on the screen saying, here's what you need to worry about playing I was, this character. I was not paying full attention. <laughs> uh, and so what I did was I found... Uh, beast hat. Yeah, I found beasts. <laughs> I found beasts like, you know, Admiral hat. You know, the dwarf. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I found his hat and I'm like, yes. I want to wear this captain hat and get attacked by everyone on site for the entire game. And so uh, when it came time for the lizard lady to blow up, instead they blew me up and I was like, okay, <laughs> hold on, reloading. Yeah, Let's, the game uh, The game warns you over and over and over again that if everyone sees your face, they'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, so that was a very quick lesson to learn. And then we went in and started executing people because uh, we we said... We can't talk to people because we don't want to spoil this. We don't want to make, like, Shell and Keith mad by knowing everything. So instead, we're just going to not talk to anybody. If we do talk to people, we pull a stainless and just mash that one button a bunch. And the game actually, for to its credit, actually managed to be functional, despite the fact that we killed anybody that could have told us anything. Oh, yeah. Um, that's, that's, so, what that, that's what that genre often brags about. <laughs> So like that's actually we, a bullet point on the Wasteland 2 boxes. Is it's a CRPG where you can shoot anybody because the game will just figure out where to go from there. Uh, so what happened was I uh, I was wandering around. I was I was specifically going after anybody that sold spells because I wanted as many spells as possible to mess around with what with which ones I wanted. 
uh, because I'm a little bit dissatisfied with summoning. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of early variety, so uh, we're probably going to have to go a little bit further before we get that sort of thing. Um, Don't you mean polymorph? Yeah, well, yeah. What did I say? You said summoning. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I've been jealous of your guys' summoning abilities over my kind of useless polymorphing, but whatever. Um, but so I was I was going after that, and Bird's like, by the way, I like pissed off a bunch of people. Can you come help? And I come over, and we're fighting like a billion NPCs in the middle of town. And I was like, okay, fine. This is actually, it was really easy. And how did he anger them? Uh, by fighting them, probably. He would try and like pick somebody off, but like on the periphery. And then but they would just, yeah, they there. would all just aggro on him. Um, but apparently there's an elf in a cage who's, I guess you're supposed to do a, a quest and he gives you a key. Well, we'd murdered everybody. So he pops out and he's like, oh, thanks for saving me. You know, I'm glad you didn't listen to, to the, him. He, here's the key and here's how to get into like the, the secret entrance. And I'm like, what? I, I, we were just killing everybody. And then we killed him and took the key anyway. But it was just yeah. this like, weird disconnect of like kind of supposed to like let you in anyway but didn't quite rewrite it from the perspective of maybe some people are going to play this game like extreme sociopaths or psychopaths <laughs> i don't know new uh, from ea extreme sociopath <laughs> isn't that just hatred <laughs> Sociop sociopath extreme 2017 game of the year edition <laughs> But <laughs> pre-order now for the Justice's blind skin. Oh man! The other interesting thing is, uh, because the tutorial boat isn't actually like really part of the chronology; it's just supposed to teach you there. Every NPC that we killed, we murdered Beast, we murdered uh, Fane, we murdered every single NPC Wait, on they that popped boat. Up? They popped back up again, but since I looted all their stuff, they popped back up again naked. With weapons now. And so oh. it was like Beast with a pair of like axes in his skivvies, no hat. And I was like, huh. <laughs> Interesting continuity there. Yeah. And so huh. like they they would actually get pissed at us for leaving them behind to die. And I'm like, did you mm -hmm. miss the part where we murdered you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should have done a better job at also leaving the boat that was currently drowning. Like in all, in all, in, like in all fairness, they know the boat's in trouble, and they're not going upstairs to escape. That seems like their own fault. At some point, like we go back and save them in our playthrough. But yeah, like what are they doing at that point? Yeah, they, were they, they shackled some interesting choices. in other means? Or no, they were. They just, weren't shackled. They, were just they just, there. just they just stayed below deck when we went above deck, even though we know that yeah. the ship's in trouble. And then they just hang out and fight stuff that shows up later, and you have to save them. And that's what we did. But I'm like, why are they still down there? That's a weird choice for them to make. I mean, oh, well. it's the standard NPC without, like, actual agency. Because they can't really have them move around too much, because that'll get weird. Or awesome. True. It is actually, like, a really good game, even from, like, the, uh, from the super genocide mode. Co spell combos are just... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I... I wish more games would do that. The Just whole watching like, all the different elements exploded with each other, like in Magic, yeah. but in a game that actually has mechanics and things to do, more yeah, so than like a nightmare panic scenario. Yeah, Magica. I wonder if Magica actually would have been a really good game if it was a turn-based, like if it if it was just turn-based, like um, Divinity: Original Sin. 
And it still probably would have been super broken, so I don't I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that developer is really keen on making mechanically driven games necessarily cuz like Matt, Matt they they made a competitive Magicka game and even that one was like I don't know about this idea. They made like a Magicka MOBA, Wizard Wars yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I heard it was kind of good. It's just it was a weird choice cuz there's only so much to do in the game at some point and it doesn't really have like at least when I played it which I think was early acts at the time there wasn't really like mechanics. To, I mean there wasn't really uh like RPG mechanics or progression system so it was literally like you're just like s- sort of charging each other's bases a bit it's a weird fit at the very least okay Shell is going to actually nap she is falling asleep <laughs> should be fine I haven't heard back from Bird on whether or not uh, whether or not he's immediately available anyway so yeah so we got an email about about the last podcast, and oh really? I don't know if you can remember what they're talking about for sure or not, because I'm a little foggy trying to remember. Uh, Andrew Kantz asks, uh, asks uh, in your most recent podcast, you asked, uh, well, yes, yeah, it's the other stuff. In your previous uh, in your previous episode of the podcast, the group indicates that some YouTube channels have sold out. Care to elaborate? What activities do you see them engaging oh. in that I overlook? Do you remember the conversation we had? Because I don't. I don't remember, remember the spe- specific conversation, but I think I know what I was talking about because we've kind of mentioned it. Um, I'm not gonna let's let's not do names because names are always bad. <laughs> but uh, a common thing that uh, YouTubers are kind of going for are aiming for, um, like picking up games that are going to be really popular amongst like younger audiences. And playing them like extremely hyped, uh, for like an episode or three, and then moving on because ultimately the game wasn't very good to begin with. They're just like, we got to find They're the just next sort of pandering. Yeah, the next, uh, the next game that will bloat my channel with more views and just more or less hop from one to the next. There's, there's, uh, there's kind ins- of an incentive system built into YouTube in just that like. Wander and I have both experienced like giant growth spikes at some point in the past that were related to like a specific game at a specific time. And once that happens once or twice, it kind of like a YouTuber will often try to hunt that actively all the time. Well, yeah, it's it's addicting to grow your channel and it's and also might painful be a, when it's a slow. career maker. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I would say Holy Potatoes Weapon Shop, Scrap Mechanic and Fallout more or less made my career in this. Obviously, there's a lot of other games that have helped, but those were the three biggest growth spikes after, like, Vigante and Catacomb Kids, but, uh, you know, they single-handedly eclipsed everything else, and, like, now that I don't have Scrap Mechanic, I don't have Fallout like I used to, my channel has slowed down considerably, and so I can totally see why people would want to chase that specific thing as, like, a, as a business maker. And like I had a I had a restructure on my channel at one point where I specifically chose to like no I'm going to like finish things I start but I'm also going to make my schedule a sane thing overall and the thing that pays that the thing that ends up falling off when you do those two things if you're going to be like I'm going to restrict it so I'm only making this many videos per day like a sane person would but also I'm going to finish things I start is that like you can't start anything when it actually comes out immediately and like so, like, a lot of the channels that we talk about are channels that instead do the exact opposite of what I do, which is that they 
they they make x number of videos per day like i do but instead of caring about finishing stuff they instead only play the hype non-stop all the time forever and like there's there's a weird feeling of like the channel kind of losing its identity as it just focuses entirely on chasing every possible trend at all times because you don't know what game's going to take off and which game's going to be the career maker for you or which game's going to be a huge takeout takeoff success video so you're just yeah. going to make a video of every game that comes out that day and then drop it immediately to make the next one there there's also kind of a critical mass um i would say where you like you get like for example if you're on youtube and you're looking at thumbnails and you'll see like uh best game ever in like big bubbly text and like maybe a little bit of like some kind of gameplay asset in there in the corner or like maybe somebody's face and they're like looking really shocked and excited or yep. uh a photoshopped had- brightly lit picture of somebody's face looking really hype while giant yellow bubble text pops up on the screen and the title's all in caps lock and with exclamation points and it's just trying to hype yeah and you kind of hit this like weird critical mass and it works like that's the crazy part like you think people get really bored of this and, you know, maybe some older people definitely do, but uh, younger audiences definitely don't get, get tired of this nearly as fast. And so this actually really is the moneymaker for a lot of these guys is just hi- hopping from one viral success in the next. And YouTube actually will uh, kind of feed into this. Any video that's getting, you know, say thousands of views per hour will instantly go on the, the what's trending list and you know, shows up on the front page, even if you're not subscribed to the person. And so a lot of these guys hop on this train and you can grow your channel considerably as a result. But for us that kind of refuse to do that, it really does kind of feel like selling out because it's, it feels cheap and it kind of feels like it's cheapening what we do. I need to just point at how gargantuan your channel is right now, real quick. And uh, wander, uh, boy, oh boy. So I just looked at your last 30 days stats. You passed Splattercat. <laughs> really? <laughs> that actually happened. You you got more video views in the last 30 days than Splattercat. Holy huh. shit. <laughs> I've actually been Oh, yeah, I I'd almost say though that's that's a a metric of me being static uh but stable than him. Um, cause I actually have not gotten, uh, I have not grown much in the past year. Uh, more or less, I got up to about 2.2, million views. And then I've just been hanging here for, uh, for a while because ending Scrap Maquette and Fallout has actually, uh, kind of killed me and I've been like kind of scraping by. Um, but that is, that is neat. Uh, for people wondering why this is kind of important, uh, for both Keith and myself, Splattercat was the channel that, sat above us always every series we would do he'd probably also be doing and he'd always be the one you know first paged on the uh on the search results and it was it was just pervasive so it was kind of always the benchmark and it is actually weird to be passing him that's sort of. a, well, a standout leap you're also not that stable uh like you actually you your uh views per month increased by about a million about halfway through this year True. Uh, well, so uh, when I when I say static, I mean like a year ago, more or less a year ago today, uh, was when Scrap Mechanic and Fallout were really, really taking off. Yeah. Um, and then, 
you can see that lowest point is actually when I'd stopped. I'd stopped both of them. That that big dip was me stopping both Fallout and Scrap Mechanic in the same go. And that that's why I went down so hard. It also coincides with the Adpocalypse, which was not a pleasant uh a pleasant feeling either. Like generally, like when I look at a uh, let's play channels, what I hold as like a positive example for like the genre is something more along the lines of like Game Grumps or Super Best Friends play, where like it's just it's just a channel that does what it does, and it doesn't feel like it's being constantly motivated by outside forces to change what it does. Yeah, and so on various levels, other channels often sell out to do different behaviors, and they and and you kind of lose your identity along the way. You kind of become like the other channels that are also all chasing the same trends, but also like there's just like a it hurts the content itself when you're like instead of doing what you want or having a specific vision for your channel, you're like obsessing over the exact thing that'll be successful at the next turn. Because like if you watch Achievement Hunter, for example, which I think is an example of this, like if you've watched like over the years, like there's like the Minecraft series was like their core thing for the longest time on their Let's Play channel. And that was like a thing that was like at, at, like at, for a period of time, it kind of felt like its own thing. It was like, oh, look at this. It's like they're playing on Xbox for some reason. And it's six person. It's a uh, six perspectives being edited in, in, interchangeably into one video. I'm like, this is like. Like I don't, I'm not saying that's somehow an original thing no one's ever done before, but like that was like part of an identity of what an achievement hunter like a let's play video was, like what the, what that what that community would make together. Uh, but nowadays, when you look at that channel, like they usually don't have ongoing let's plays. They basically have on I think it's on Wednesdays it's it's a uh, Minecraft and on Fridays it's uh, game uh, Grand Theft Auto or something like or or inverse or something like that. I for, I've mixed them up or something, but like. They have those two staples, and then the rest of their videos are usually like, here's the MOBA that paid us to make a video this week, and stuff like that. And like they will be like thrown into this one game that's like the next hype thing that week, and none of them really know what's going on. And if the right people aren't in the office that day, who cares? Whoever's in the office is going to be making that video that day. And so they pass it off to somebody else to edit it. And somewhere in the video, uh, usually Jack will like really awkwardly start explaining midway through like their uh, he'll start like trying to read the notes, basically, like the bullet points of like what they're supposed to say in the promoted the promotion video, because they're supposed to like talk about the bullet points that are basically supposed to sell people on the game. It's so, like that's like the other side is like there's the people we talked about without naming names, really, about like the people that just like chase trends at the cost of their own channel and then you have also something like achievement hunter that like literally does ads for videos where like their video is a paid promotion video and the and they happen so often that it feels like most of them are that at some point where they're just like we're playing this game because it's coming out this week and the developers are paying us to do it here's the bullet points that we're going to really inorganically implement into the commentary about what's going to sell you on the game and i'm like this is this this doesn't feel like what the point of making this kind of channel anymore and it's kind of a bummer yeah i it is a bummer i i can also understand the like flipped perspective i mean rooster teeth has grown considerably over the years they're a a big thing they have games tv shows coming out of it and as such like monetization especially through youtube which has been historically extremely well you said it was super consistent for you but like i got hit kind of bad and like i'm still not as good as where i was a year ago and stuff like that and like 
I, I can see why never actually make that much money on YouTube, but then you can't lose it that much. <laughs> yeah, it's be be poor and accept being poor. But yeah. like for Rooster Teeth, uh, they like that, very that's clearly why I can't have like people too hard because of the fact that like I like I did a oh, budget yeah. recently, and it was a kind of a cynical budget to be more safe about it. And yeah, like my margin for error of like money to spend on like my disposable income the stuff that's not accounted for by all of my bills and li and living and average cost of mo of like food prices per month and stuff like that like that my leftover money based on my projected income each month is like 200 bucks <laughs> oh wow yeah like I, I i understand the idea of like of like going that length like here's the stuff that makes you more money like both sides of the sellout spectrum we've talked about here is like i totally get it because it's your life and you gotta do shit like it's certainly an easier pill to swallow than like going back to working at restaurants or cubicles or whatever to make the same oh, money yeah. that you didn't want to make because you were afraid your YouTube audience might think you were selling out or something. Like I get it. Although it still make I still recoil every single time somebody tries to get me to do an ad, which has been every single time. I'm like, ugh, ugh. And yeah. I just don't respond. <laughs> yeah. That makes me uncomfortable to even think about it, but that's I get it though. And people and like people in my family would be mad at me if they found out that I don't do ads when they when they approach me because I'm like, I don't have money. <laughs> Just a real that's a real issue. But that's... we do it for fun, right, Wander? <laughs> yeah. No, I've I've been having a lot of fun actually. Yeah. Uh, I know you're not a big fan of the. Uh, I, I'm gonna switch gears for a second because there's a couple of games I want to mention before we go. Uh, we. Go probably on break and wait for Bird uh, and Shell to be ready for Divinity Original Sin. But you you never cared about Homestuck, right? It was just kind of like a thing on the internet for you. I it's not even that. It's a you don't word. Know what it is. Yeah, okay, <laughs> it's so a Homestuck, word that keeps coming up, and that's all I know so, about it. So you know how Undertale was like crazy popular, right? Yeah. So Hon Homestuck was the progenitor for what Undertale was. Uh, the the guy that made Undertale was one of the guys working more or less on Homestuck. He did a lot of the music and stuff like that, but he like literally would hang out at the creator of Homestuck's house. And so they kind of fit into that same genre, not, not genre. They're, they're completely separate products and, uh, but it's still kind of the same target group and evokes similar feelings. Um, and so Homestuck was like this lengthy web comic. I think it spanned like almost a decade or something like that. I, I read it throughout college and like when I picked it up in college, there were hundreds of pages of it and then it went on hiatus and then it came back later and there were hundreds of new ones and I'm like, I'm not touching this. Uh, but so in the final couple of years of working on this webcomic, uh, which was like slowly adding like oh. mini games as part of it and like animations, and like mini movies and stuff. It was insane. Uh, the creator, Andrew Hussey uh started development on a video game and he ran a kickstarter for i think it was 1.5 million dollars it was a lot of money really tiny um, divergence but toby fox is younger than us really he's 25 damn wow good for him good it's, for him tales like three years old now isn't it or something like oh yeah he was, he uh, was like what 23 when it came out or something yeah 22 Whoa. 23 when he put it together i mean it makes sense there's a number of uh college grads that make some pretty good uh pretty good shit but so, um, so in the tail ends of tail end of under not Undertale Homestuck, uh, they started work on Hive Swap, which is game came out this week. Uh, but 
thing is, they ran a they ran a Kickstarter and they more or less gave the money to the guys that made the King's Quest game that you kind of liked, um, and they took that money and made King's Quest instead. Boy, oh boy! And, yeah, so they took his money and ran. So he spent a couple of years more or less trying to get that money back because, like, you don't just pay somebody to be. You know, you don't pay somebody to do something for you and then have them not do it. That's that's like no way. Um, and so he still had some of his own money, and I'm fairly certain like he had a fair amount from Homestuck because of its popularity. Third highest um, funded video game on Kickstarter history of all time. Yeah. I mean they that fan base was rabid. It actually was the reason why I I stopped reading it and the reason why I stopped going to conventions so much, because when I when I picked it up, I thought it was like, oh, it's this like neat webcomic with kind of dumb jokes and whatever. And then I made like a really quick and easy uh, cosplay for it. And I got hugged more times that weekend than I've ever been hugged in my life cumulatively. <laughs> and it was really uncomfortable. Yeah, I I didn't like it. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to distance myself from this because this is getting problematic. And like these people would travel in hordes and like we would have artist alley tables and sell stuff and we just have a horde of gray skinned candy uh candy corn horned folks just standing in front of our table and like talking about their their whatever's I wouldn't pay attention we'd actively have to like tell them to go away because they were interfering with our sales and always give us dirty looks um but so after after years of kind of like pseudo development and like setbacks uh, they actually put out the game, and it's really good. Sort of. Uh, it's like just a point-and-click adventure game, but you know how like... Now in I know click... not to play Hive Swap. <laughs> I'd actually maybe recommend it. Uh, it's a little bit like tied I into... Wanna, I feel like I don't want to poke this thing I don't know about that people freak uh, out about too much. Yeah, probably. Um, but it's actually like a charming little game because they have... Um, so, you know, in adventure games, you get items that you can use on something else, you know, very classic King's Quest style, except for, for every single one of them, there's a text box, every, every environment object interaction, even if they make no sense, there is a lengthy, like blurb about the character's thoughts or something. Including puppy surprise. Yeah. So there's like a puppy surprise where the care, the main characters like stored all of her, like, all of her uh, her precious belongings and Shell is back again. Uh, Only to talk about puppy surprise. Let's not. Um, oh please, can I at least explain it? But no. Okay, so back in the early nineties, there was a stuffed animal toy series called Puppy Surprise, Kitty Surprise, Bunny Surprise, and essentially what you did was you purchased a mother puppy cat. Well, actually, mother puppy wouldn't be a puppy. It would be a mother dog. Uh, a dog, cat, or bunny. And they'd be brightly colored. And they had a Velcro pouch in their stomach. You'd open them up and you would get a randomized number of puppies, randomized gender, randomized faces and colors. So no one ever got the same puppies, kittens, bunnies uh, inside their, their puppy surprise. Yeah. That's what it was. So I was just ecstatic when you were what oh. scrounging around her room and yeah, she just had one on her bed where she was keeping her diary key and this like creepy eldritch looking. And I key. was just like, puppy surprise. 
I had one. It was a, a brown dog, and it had four puppies. Oh, yeah. Three, I literally opened three. the first image on Steam, and it, it's clearly there. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I I guess I just really enjoy uh, having this more or less super easy, relaxing uh, adventure game with so much insane environmental detail that you can click on for more insane environmental detail. Uh, written out in lengthy, lengthy words. Didn't they have movie posters on the wall of like the never-ending uh, story and well, stuff? But no, they, they had, had changed. Yeah, titles. they had fake ones to avoid uh, issues. So they had, uh, I think, the, the story never, never ends. Yeah, uh, the the never-ending stories one was like it never ends or story never ends or something they like had that. that in a, an observer, when you get to this one guy's obsessed with werewolves, you get into his room and it says a vegan werewolf in London. <laughs> I actually just watched uh, An American Werewolf in London a couple days ago. I'd never gotten around to it. It was interesting. But, so, I don't know. Hive Swap was surprisingly good for an $8 game. Though, I think it's, like, totally going to be about $32, because I think it's split into four acts, plus some kind of sequel. And comments are claiming it's, like, two hours long. Yeah, well, it's longer than that if you actually, you know, read everything, because I'm... I am, I want to say, two hours into the game, and I think I'm in the fourth room. I have not moved very far. It's One been, room I'm for very, half an hour. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And it turns out that I've been missing things, because for the first episode, I didn't even know you could click on everything with everything else. I was just clicking on the environmental details and moving on. I didn't try putting the diary key on everything. Except for, you also get tap dancing shoes, ballet shoes... And a flashlight. And apparently you can click on those and then click on everything else for even more details. And then you can click on each other. It's a it's a mess of words, but I was actually like really happy with how like charming and detailed it was. Let's see. I'm just trying to decipher these screenshots. They're yeah. they're dense. It is a very dense adventure game. That's a really dark and concerning controversy in the background there with the uh, with uh, the uh, the odd gentleman and stuff. Yeah. Wait, what's concerning? Uh, the developers of the King's Quest games, Odd Gentleman, uh, more or less stole uh, eight hundred thousand dollars to fund a different video game. Wait, so was it like something where they kickstarted something or did something else? Like, uh, what? Whose money was it? It was kicks. So Andrew Hussey, the creator of Home Homestuck, kickstarted Hive Swap. Okay. And gave eight hundred thousand dollars to a development studio to make Hive Swap, and they said, "Sure, thanks. We'll get right on it." And they made a completely different game. Ooh. Yeah. Like any time I hear of a developer do that, I'm just like, "Oh, I how wonder, did you?" I wonder if the connection's there, or if it's just like. Like a rumor that took fire or something. Like well, I wonder if anyone official has come out and like and and called attention to this, or if it's always been like well, a weird like John and Aaron are fighting to? like rumor. Just because like uh, like King's Quest was published by Activision, like the idea that they would need like eight. What you said eight? Did you say eight thousand dollars from the Homestuck people? Yeah, eight hundred thousand. Just the idea that they'd need to pocket. Uh, that they need to pocket Humstuck money when they're being their games being published by Activision seems weird, but I don't know. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's super hush-hush, uh, probably because lawyers are involved. All uh, I know generally... is that the first episode of King's Quest was really good, and none of the other ones were as good as the first one. And it's really interesting that the first one's the free one you can play, because then I can like be like, hey, go, yeah, go check out that free first episode of King's Quest, and then stop. <laughs> yeah, so technically, uh, the not official word, but from what everybody's gathered is, they got a lot of money from Hussey, and then they didn't make a game. They didn't really do much of anything. I think it got kind of Duke Nukem Forevered. And then they made King's Quest, so there might not time be a connection. Pass for that. They announced that they were being added to the project in, like, June, and then they announced that they were no longer on the project in October. Wow. Like, it's, it's there wasn't even, like, developer hell. It was, like, a couple months, and then they were off the project. Like, whatever happened there was, like, fast. But, yeah, chances are if lawyers are involved... Uh, nobody can talk about it. I would not be surprised if the entire thing, uh, if the entire thing might never fully come to light just because of legal NDAs and dumb bullshit. Mm-hmm. Well, also I know that Hussey is very protective of his IPs and stuff too, um, especially when it comes to. I think you guys were talking about artist alleys and you know people trying to churn out videos quickly for a couple games. It's sort of like that with the fan art community. People are technically not supposed to be making money off of fan art, uh, especially for various IPs, and people will, and they'll just hop from new series to new series, make a, you know, what? Uh, no, keep going. And uh, the problem is, and they don't have any art of their own, nothing of their own unique characters or IP, and if ever they get slammed with, you know, a DMCA or a copyright or anything, then they're in a bad place. It's but, not like that for you guys, though, but. So hmm. uh, my my last thing with it is, you know, obviously it's so jam packed with writing, which I really love because it's nice and snarky and amusing to read. Um, but since there's so much details, I was kind of like, should I do this? Should I not do this? And a lot of people were like, yes. And there's always that small minority that I almost never have to deal with that are like, stop reading the game. <laughs> like go do other things and i'm like what am i supposed to do this is the game there's nothing else to it <laughs> well i've reached like, peak levels of stupid for that before because there's a specific subgenre of like indie game walking simulator games that are all like in this post bioshock world of being inspired by heavy environmental storytelling and like it's mm -hmm. the stuff that is like uh gone home or what i would play what i actually played in this case would be more so uh what remains of edith finch and, like, people mm. always, there's always that guy that's like, just fucking go to the next place already. It's like, literally the point of this game is what I'm doing. Like, that's, that's what you're supposed, like, that's what you're supposed to do is go look at all the shit and, like, do stuff. And, like, there's always the idiot that's like, no, beat it very fast and run past everything. I always like, do I that instinctually because I, I think comment it's... That, <laughs> like, I already got a comment that's like, over, like, over an hour and still on the boat on Divinity. <laughs> it's like, the Look at That's this, the look, point. What are we supposed CRPG? to do? Just, are we supposed to race through this? Yeah. I, I investigate everything instinctually because you never know when something's going to be relevant later on to, you know. Oh, yeah. No, Divinity a, Original Sin is definitely going to be one of those where you have to. You have to. Well, you don't have to, but like if you are super thorough, like eating that lizard lady's leg means we have learned potentially a villain's name, which is cool. But also. Are that, you sure it was a villain? Might so have been. Some, oh, she was yeah. To find she was trying to save somebody. Him. Sorry, somebody. Yeah. Whatever. It's an important thing, regardless. Mm 
<laughs> it's so important that you definitely didn't remember it. Well, it'll it'll, it'll be important later when we meet the guy. We're going to be like, oh, that's the guy. And that's know. the guy. Get him. Because apparently I think he's a villain. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I have fire magic. I can start fights whenever I want. We need, to, we need to start writing things him. down, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. been interesting seeing the comments for that series already because people are immediately... It's only been like two or three three people, so I don't know if there's anything to go on. But like, there are some people that, that are actually taking the exact opposite stance that I would expect. Because for me, I'm like, we've got to carefully stick together, and like, we're recording this, we got to share the perspective, and be able to tell what's going on. And like, and I think that's I think that's correct that the fewest people will be bothered by that. But there are people on the other side that like everybody should split up and do whatever the fuck they want, and like you choose to share whatever information you choose to share with each other, like in an actual D and D campaign. And maybe you do are maybe you are competing against each other. So you use the chance to like up, like, like get the advantage against the other players towards the final goal at certain moments by getting things from them. But like, I just like, as it might be an interesting experience experiment, but that could go wrong so immediately. <laughs> well, the main problem Terrifying. is just like, There'd be editing that would be a, a small nightmare. That's part of the reason why I was actually asking, do we want to do the adversarial quests and missions? Because every time that happens, we'd effectively have to leave TeamSpeak uh, or mute TeamSpeak so you couldn't hear everybody else in the background. Because if I'm talking to NPC, I don't want to hear you and Bird making a joke about something when I'm trying to actively learn learn a detail that I might then use against everybody. I like It really does feel like one of those neat things that would be great but would not at all work on a youtube series yeah it's one of those things where i'm just trying to think of like what like it's it's hard to make a call because we don't know how it works until you already know how it works at which point it's already spoiled so it's like yeah it's i I think it wouldn't be a problem if we were if we were just playing as as friends that weren't trying to like commentate over the game and make a series on it uh, but because we're trying to make a series on it and like have it be presentable, if w- if one person is going around gathering all of the details and like not cluing anybody else in, it's inherently going to detract from the experience of everybody else. Yeah, because uh, there could be like hours of wandering around encountering NPCs that whose quests are already done and stuff that's already taken and like things that are destroyed and like yeah. it could be so in- like. It's one of those things where, like, it's almost like the only way to handle it would be to have, like, uh, almost like we'd have to agree to record at the same time, but not in communication with each other. And we'd be specifically playing separately from each other, then giving all of our hundreds of hours of footage to somebody else for them to do the multi-perspective camera editing that highlights the, like, the, like, like, reality show style drama from the multiple (laughs) perspectives of how different things affect different people. Like, holy crap. Yeah, I don't even. I don't, think, I don't think we can handle that. <laughs> I don't think it's worth it, and I think it would get really frustrating. Uh, maybe, maybe if we were like local with each other, that could work. But even then, you essentially eh. need another person who already beat the entire game to have some idea to give us the advice of how to play the game and to make the adversary thing even work. Because we don't. Right yeah. now, like we literally have no way of knowing how any adversarial stuff works at all. Like, yeah, no we haven't played enough into it to see. We haven't even had like a conversation like in the first game where you would be like talking to each other. Like we haven't yeah. even gotten that much yet. So like we just know so little so far that we can't really make a call reasonably yet. But yeah. we'll see. Just maybe we'll learn I'm something just, along I'm the just way. A, I'm just inclined against uh, 
you know, betrayals and backstabbing, especially in like a long series. Because if if the well somehow does get poisoned, it only gets worse. I'm just wondering, uh, like, I don't want to, I don't want to actively spoil any of it, but I'm wondering how it ends. Like, do we get to this entire days- quest line together as a group, and then at the last minute, it's like the end of a Crashful Crashers level, like everyone just dukes it out for the final victory? <laughs> I mean, that would be amusing. I I would actually be fine with that if if we get to the very end, and then it's just like. By the way, uh, now you get to pick who who it is, and it's not like it's not like the person that has been most like meritorious through the entire game gets it. It's just like uh, sudden death match. Good luck, go. <laughs> like I know that would be kind of frustrating, but I think that would be the only way to do it without really pissing anybody off. But I don't know. We'll see. I just. I just don't like games that uh, inherently set, pit you against your friends unless the entire point of the game is to pit you against your friends. I like playing co-op for co-op. Yeah. The good news so, is well. we're so early on that we really don't have to worry about it yet because we're still like literally learning what the story is of the watch game, us let start alone playing, what to do. Watch us start playing in the next like, you know, 10, 15 minutes and then it's just immediately like, by the way, backstab your friends. It's like, ah. <laughs> we'll see. I'm wondering to see if like any four-player dialogue will pop up at some point like it did in the previous game and that might affect uh, bird, some bird thing. and i ran into two of those we just ignored them we just mashed the button and walked away <laughs> all right well then i guess it will come up all right guys well this has been the latest podcast thanks for watching i think we're ready to get, get going yeah. i see bird waiting in chat i see him lying in wait he has returned with this with with a maybe progressively in the future over time less sick bunny perhaps <laughs> or maybe a raving rabbit who knows oh god see you guys next time <laughs>